0: Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre.
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode—or should I say, to some people, like I got to give a shout out to Frank Sarcone. In the Monday morning or Monday morning, the Wednesday morning commute that he does listening to the podcast, which probably some of you do as well. Um so it's not always evening. I don't know why I say evening, Owen. Why do I say evening? I guess it's just a habit. Because, because it's evening all these years. for us
0: and does it does it really matter? Like they know when we're recording in the evening. <laughs> yeah, I they guess they so. they know what it's happening. They know when yeah. we'll do this yeah, I bet you it didn't even phase them until now you've brought it up. Until now. So, now you've yeah, really ruined it. Now oh, we gotta man. do it and all right. Well here we bitch. are. And um, it's been busted.
1: Yeah. So tonight we uh we have uh Riley and Terrell coming back uh to join us uh for a carpet python round table uh number two, continuation of where we left off a long time ago. Way back months and months and months and months and months ago, um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get that going. Uh, should be pretty cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. What's going on with you, Owen? Before we get these guys on, oh,
0: we're getting we're getting rolling with the whole breeding season, getting everybody ready to roll, dropping temps doing this, I'm putting some random pairs together, leaving other pairs separate, so it's one of those things where uh, the basic spiral down into breeding seasons was going on here and I I spent a bunch of time in my room today because I got to get the whole room ready to roll because I got to do the whole family stuff for the next couple days so I won't be able to be down here, so uh, I, I, you know, it's uh, it's your basic November reptile room but, uh, so and you know how, how I've been building those um, six-foot cages for my olive pythons, right? Yes. So I finished them. And okay. How they turn out? Left them. They looked great for the 5.2 seconds I had both of them completed. So. Wait! I wait! Left wait! Them wait! Outside. Wait! I know, right? <laughs> I'm
1: getting there. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: I left them outside, stacked on top of each other. And oh, I went down to go help Andrew do a few other things. And that was a few days ago when we had all that hellish wind blowing yes. all over the place. Oh, God. So the wind blew one cage off the other cage, and it smashed to bits. Like, it, like, exploded. I I came home, and I thought someone had stolen the cage. So I'm like, where the f is it? And it had hit the ground so hard that it had... Burst at the seams, and it was laying flat on my grass. So that's what ended up happening. So I had two six-foot cages complete, ready to roll, and now I'm down to one. So,
1: wow! Yay!
0: <laughs> lesson learned were, here.
1: <laughs> were they were they hard to put together, or
0: no? They weren't that hard to put together. Pretty straightforward. It was just cutting, cutting, and measuring. The problem is, is that now because the one that hit the ground,
1: they yeah. didn't come
0: apart very gently. So now I have to recut the sides and the front, which was totally smashed. And uh, in the meantime, I have to wait in ordering the tracks for the front glass. I've got to wait for everything else to be done all at once. So basically, I now have to push back having those cages completed.
1: So I so think, uh, yeah, we're, we, well, we just had all that wind that came through, but uh, definitely getting cold here. It definitely feels like wintertime. Um, to me, um, yeah, you know, 30 degree mornings. I don't know if it's just because now I'm in the suburbs or <laughs> if <laughs> oh, you feel a little bit more, well, oh yeah, it's, it's cold the, in the morning, Philly's, man. <laughs>
0: Philly's, well, Philadelphia is warmer. See, when you have that many pissed off people in one small area, they just generate heat. Yeah. So, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, Now you're a little widespread and you don't have it that much. So, yeah.
1: But uh I don't know I, I was I was I was so well for local people local to Philadelphia um the one uh, uh Karen Rogers uh she shops at my uh store and we were talking about the weather she's a weather girl uh-huh. and um she uh she was telling me that this winter is going to be a lot like last year we had one big storm and that was it where this year is going to be a lot of little yeah no a lot of little storms so I'm kind of okay with that so I mean I that's that's good for snake breeding right
0: yeah I, I want I want some more I want babies I want as many baby snakes as I can get this year so uh Yeah, I'm looking forward to that stuff. Not so much driving in it, but (laughs) yeah, snakes
1: in it. I, I am yeah, I'm super. uh, Not, not, uh, I'm not super excited. I am not excited at all about my commute to work (laughs) in snow. (laughs) But you (laughs) have
0: have your trucks. Can't you just flip the truck into four wheel and just go for it? I mean, I'm the one who's going to be spinning the whole way. Well, so,
1: that's fine, but a truck doesn't do anything when it comes to ice. You know what I'm saying? So valid point. Good. Yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> I'm an I'm an
0: insurance agent. I understand.
1: Yeah. So, yes.
0: You. You of yeah, all people you yeah. understand this. So. I, no, and fire are bad. That's all. That's the first day of insurance training, right
1: there. So. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So uh, for people that don't know uh, Terrell and riley uh, terrell is uh uh co-owner i guess of <laughs> D- designer exotics Man. i i can't i can't remember how that thing goes and then uh, i think Ry- like you were like terrell is terrell i mean <laughs> terrell um, is like
0: okay furthermore you need more
1: so and uh riley is uh riley's reptiles um both of which are on facebook which that is a topic that we will cover tonight for sure um, oh hooray! Uh, right. You probably know. What the, the last time they were on uh, a group that they had started called the Carpet Python Discussion Group uh, had just come to light. Uh, since that time, there's been many uh, topics um, relating to uh, carpet pythons. Uh, people asking questions and whatnot. So I kind of we had some questions that we didn't finish on the last time uh but uh this time uh we broke down the topics into this uh we got the big question and everybody knows what that big question is and as soon as we say what that big question is you will know what that big question is Uh, I we have, have no some idea questions what it is. we have yes you do we have you okay. hate this question owen you hate I don't it want to know you what hate that is. it it makes your patience I don't, I don't, just I don't, I don't, explode. I don't want to know it. I, I'm leaving.
0: I'm hanging yeah. up. but I don't want to know the big question. Right.
1: Um,
0: oh, God, I do know this question. <laughs>
1: I knew you would know it. All right. God, keeping. It, i got to start reading. We're going to hit Go on ahead. some topics as far as keeping goes. We're going to hit on some topics as far as breeding goes. We're going to hit on uh, genetics and morphs. Uh, we're throwing some market talk in there, and uh we're gonna talk about the community, which community was one that uh came up on the last go around, but we never got the hit on it uh because we had three hours so uh yeah, so I guess what I'll do is I'm gonna read off the questions and then we'll just uh we'll debate real round table style going back and forth um and see how that goes so let me let, let me click on um let me click these guys on. Get them going. Okay, Terrell, Riley. What's up guys? Yeah, hey, you guys on. Yo. Hey. <laughs> We're ready for round table 2. All right. So, I'm going to throw You're out the funny. questions. <laughs> yeah. Um Topic number one, and this is the big question, and this is probably, would you guys probably will agree, is probably the most asked question uh, in uh, Carpet Python groups or, uh, you know, to breeders, uh, et cetera. And that is, what is my Carpet Python? Uh, (laughs) So Uh, we see this a lot. We see this a lot, so I don't know. I'm curious to see what you guys think about how we can uh, better educate people, uh, how we can deal with this question, and it also leads to questions like, how should crosses be labeled? So let's see what you guys got.
2: For me, it's it's funny because – I started in Carver python three years ago, and this question wasn't as annoying to me as it is now, <laughs> but, and, and you know, you hear it, like, uh, listening to you guys, you get asked it a lot, and you're like, well, you can't actually be asked that question a lot. Well, you act, you get asked that question a lot, and after a while of answering it and leaving the answer open so other people can see it, um, it still gets asked all the time, and it, it makes me wonder how many more times that question can be asked, and in what different ways. Because if we on the discussion board say, "Hey, this is what it probably is," but there's no guarantee, they'll ask it in a different way. Like how many how many ways can you ask this question? No one's going to be able to tell you.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's. It seems like that's a question that. Uh, And when you give somebody the answer, which is the typical answer that somebody in the, uh, you know, carpet Python world will give, it seems that that answer is not good uh, enough, you know?
2: Yeah, and and then they'll go ask somebody else, or they'll take a screenshot of what you said and then get a second opinion from somebody else. Like, come on.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's... (laughs) So what do you think Terrell? How do do we, how do we, what do we have, what do we have to do to get people to, you know, try to understand what's going on there?
2: You know, I figured with the discussion board, people talking about it a central place to actually have a discussion about that particular topic. It would eliminate the question being asked so much, but I, I don't see it stopping. I actually feel like it's asked more now than it was before. So what I've been doing is taking animals that look similar to each other and doing like a kind of like a word document, because I want to put out a a PDF that's on the discussion board. These animals look similar. One of them's a pure one's not. You can't tell which one it is unless we told you. So looking at, if you're looking at these particular things and these traits, you can kind of get an idea, but you'll never know. And kind of, walk people through how we arrive at you'll never know that the answer to that question instead of just saying it because they no one seems to believe you when you say that
1: yeah it's like they think that uh, carpets have a specific look and I have to say I mean I don't know about you guys but I have to say that when I first got into carpets a Darwin and an IJ looked very similar I couldn't really tell the difference between an IJ cross and an IJ Uh, A pure IJ, uh, you know, but as you, you know, begin to look at these animals over and over again, you know, you start to see certain things that stick out uh, Yeah. that, you know, that you can tell just by looking at it. I mean, that's my experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not going to work in every single case, but for the most part, you can kind of pick out things that would indicate that it may be this species. Or the sub-seas.
0: Uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, those exactly. can be faked or can, be, can throw you off. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've hatched coastals that have the same kind of yellow that you would kind of see in a jungle, and they're pure coastal. So you mm-hmm. can sit there and say, so throw these animals up there, and the problem is that everybody wants to hear something, and this is how you always end up having somebody trying to sell you a carpet python on a show, and they automatically come up and they say, oh, it's a diamond jungle cross with a red coastal. I'm like, who the hell told you that? Oh, I just know. And it's because they threw up a picture and someone who had more than four carpet python pictured on their Facebook page told them this and that's what they're going with because that sounded cool. So that is, I think, the problem is you see a lot of that when it comes to what is my carpet python As they're trying to figure out what it is so they have an answer to tell people when they're asked what kind of carpet python it is. And rarely ever is the answer going to be a pure animal. It's they're looking for the words to say out of the the mixes. So that's where it's going to go. And that's why I think it's asked more often now is because the popularity of carp pythons has risen. So there's more of them out there with question marks that are trying to be offered up for sale or trying to be found out about. So, you know, I mean, When was the last time one of those Pictured carpet pythons that had that question Tagged to it was like Oh my god it's a pure This Never Exactly never <laughs> Never ever 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 It's always a cross it's always a mix So mm-hmm. that's that, what it is
2: I think you get a lot of um, You got a carpet for cheap or you got it In a trade and mm. you want it to be Special and yeah. it's just not that. so you're trying to put a, a value to that animal when it, it's it's just what it is. It's not no one's gonna tell you that you found the missing link to make something cool.
0: Yeah. It, it, everybody thinks they have, they have perceived value. They want everybody wants their retick to be like a platinum tiger retick when hate the break through it, the a goddamn retick. So yeah. same thing goes with carpet python. Everybody wants that car python they got in the trade, They're like, Oh man, that's a Jag. No, it's it's not. Or, yeah, it's a jag. It's just a jag. So, even then, I rarely ever see jags. Uh, It's usually always just some kind of mixed carpet. It's never a morph established to it. It's never anything else. So, they want the long title so it makes their Carpet Python sound cooler. Instead of, it's a Carpet Python. You should be glad it's a Carpet Python, you know? Yeah, that seems
2: you've lost its place and what we do that it's just a carpet pipe. It can't be cool that it's just a coastal or it's just yeah. a not-so-bright
0: not jumble. It has to be something like to wow other people. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of the same mentality of why people can't go get a dog from the pound and it's just a
3: dog. Mm-hmm.
0: They have to know what the hell made up this dog so that when people ask, they go, oh, he's like a standard poodle husky mix." give the shit it's a dog so yeah. we know what a dog is but <laughs> i digress
4: i also think people are lazy just straight up lazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes i agree uh, um, you know people get something they get a snake because it was cheap or because it caught their eye or because it was a gift whatever the intention could be completely harmless and totally genuine but then they're sitting there going how do I explain this to my friends when they're going to ask and I want to share this online and I want to show people, which is fine. But then it's like, well, I got to, I got to label it. And then you start getting into the whole thing where people stop viewing these snakes as an animal and they start looking at them as a a commodity or a status symbol. And that's when you're just, you're too far down the hill. And that's Mm. when, you know, all bets are off. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the problem with, with, you know, because on our website on actually on both websites, I addressed this in the same type of thing, Uh, you know, did a, 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 you know, something that people could read and and understand and try to, uh, you know, get what we're saying when we say you'll never know. Um, But people just don't read. And it just seems like they just feel like that information is just that, you know, I don't know if it's like, the entitlement type of idea that, uh, you know, whereas like you, you have, you have like these two different types uh, of, I guess, generations, if you will. You know, I mean, you have older guys like me that, you know, we had to spend hours upon hours, you know, looking on MP. And then there was the guys that I Mm -hmm. learned from that spent hours and hours talking to people and, and tracking this stuff down and, you know, the newer people getting into carpets just expect that to be handed to them. And although I'm all for education and explaining stuff to people, I think that there has to be a little bit of effort put into it. And it just seems like, you know, whether it's myself or you guys, or, you know, uh, putting, you know, information on our websites or Facebook pages or groups or whatever, it just seems like that doesn't matter because they're not paying attention to that anyway. I mean, this question just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. I, I just, I'm with you, Terrell. I mean, it used to not bother me, but more and more, it's just like, oh my God,
4: here we go again. Uh, I don't know. So we should start spreading out the abuse so everybody has a chance to answer it once. So those that are a little bit down by it can take a break <laughs> for a month and then come back a bit more
0: inspired. The problem yeah. is that it's the problem is that the first answer is always someone who does the. You're never going to know unless you go direct from the breeder, which you didn't do. So everything else following is going to be guesswork. And then people start guessing and it's like, well, wait, no, we already said, we just gave the answer, the perfect answer. Why are we doing this? Cause now they're going to yeah. be like <laughs> hope in this. And
1: then there we go. So yeah. if, if, if the answer was, you'll never know, you know? So, so I guess that leads to the second part of the question. I mean, what do you guys think is the right way to label these animals? You know, I mean, how how do you put it out there? If, if for instance, you're going to sell it to somebody at a show, at, you know, or online or whatever, how, how do you label it so that people understand what's going on? For me, I
2: label it as a cross. Uh, say, for instance, like when I do – a coastal jungle I'll do coastal jungle cross I'll put what the parents were I try to make it really apparent That it's not a pure animal um, Right I don't know if I can I have to bold that Put a lot of asterisks I don't know what Like what makes that sink But I've actually seen it happen With an animal like Oh That was a cross It wasn't produced by me So that wasn't in the title But after they got it from me They went to sell it to somebody else And just chopped the cross part off And just labeled it a coastal so I had to put on their, their toast what it was again so that people didn't buy it thinking it was just one thing.
4: Mhm. Again, getting I've had that happen people to... being lazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, we've seen that uh, quite a few times over this past year of people okay. not necessarily lying about an animal, but let's just say that they it omitted... Sins of omission... Dude.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I I didn't do I didn't tell her I did it, but it's like, you, you, but you did it. It's like yeah. again, sins of omission. Just because you didn't left it out, it, and I don't know if it was accidental or not. But I've had animals that, uh, because I work with the high contrast queenslands, which you have no idea if that line is pure. There's always rumors that there's jungle involved, so I make sure I tell everybody what's a high contrast queensland what it that so that it, it you know and then do with it what you will. So, I've had people buy high cons from me and turn around and sell them as jungles, and I have to like stop those people because it's not at all what you're trying to advertise it. So, and you don't know how many people those things those you know, how many of those babies those people sold before I got to them. So,
4: uh-huh. yep. Yeah, you know, I, I I mean you you can only do the best you can and put your best foot forward yeah. and if you think about people as you know very short attention span looking for the instant gratification cuz let's face it that's the world we live in the mm-hmm. first line that you put for an ad is the first thing that they're going to see and if they're not right. going to see something you know catches their eye or that they're interested in or that they're looking for keep mm-hmm. it moving so for me I think you know the first line in an ad or Um, what you write on your display case or something like that needs to be the most crucial part, whether you write big, bold letters, cross, or, you know, these specific localities cross in there, or, you know, heck, Mm. if you want to cap your ads and put in big, bold letters, not pure all over it, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I mean, whatever. I think that's great, you know, I mean, that you can't sit there and go, well, the breeder didn't specify, or I missed that line. It's like, no, that's crap. That was the first word on that line in big bold letters with little stars and exclamation points and dollar signs next to it. Like that's what got your attention, and you're omitting that. Then, I mean, yeah, you can only, you can only do so much. But uh, I yeah, I but know. if you
0: if you were the one of the guys that does it, where say every ad you did that had cross in it, or you're selling crosses, the first line was crosses not pure. The second somebody runs around and goes, hey, I'm trying to sell pure stock from this guy, everybody's going to be like, really? Because, like, you know, he mm-hmm. – and then if they contact you, you be like, no, 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 that was from one of my cross-sellings or something of that. If people know that you blatantly uh, admit when you're selling a cross and when you're selling a pure and that you're kind of up and up about that, the smart ones will contact you. Um, the dumb ones will take the other guy's word for you, which is stupid. Um, I've had, and that happens a lot, especially when you start getting to know more and more people in the reptile community is where you can fact check people who are trying to get you to spend money on them. Um, my favorite is I had someone call me and say, they were going to try selling me this really cool animal that was produced by Howard Reddick. I'm like, really? So then I texted Howard a picture of the snake. And I said, this yours? and he replied with the fuck. No, so that's just how it works. That guy had no idea that I had Howard's phone number and could double check him. So, and that kind of is going to come with that is If you're an honest person, other people are, are going to be, and approachable, other people are going to come and double check that kind of stuff with you. And that's, at least you, that's what you hope they would do. So you just got to be honest with your customers.
2: Yeah, that, the honesty is probably the number one thing to – cut down on that but your it's honesty still doesn't mean yeah. that the next person is going to be as honest
0: as you no so Which, now do you take Eric's approach and just kill everything feed it to a blackhead and
1: be evil <laughs> like that easy buddy <laughs> I'm sorry I did I jump too far down the list I apologize I don't just kill everything. God, oh, what do you really? think oh. going on over here? <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs>
0: hey, I don't know what hey. you do when I'm not around.
1: You know, a, 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 a Citrus Tigers would be one that, to me, has been frustrating to me over the past, um, the past couple years. You know, this is a project that the reason that I got into this project is just because the snake looks cool. You know what I mean? That to yeah. me was the what I got into it for. I thought these snakes look fabulous, perfect stripes, you know, bright yellow, black, nice contrast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's just like, you know, what 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 drives me, uh, what drives me crazy a little bit is like people that have crosses, right? They have crossed animals, and they plan on crossing these animals to those crossed animals, and they're like, I don't know, man. That lineage is kind of shady. I'm like, what's shady? I'm telling you exactly what's going on, you know, and I can say (laughs) to you that the one animal is in question on whether or not it was a jungle or a coastal. Nobody will ever know. You know, nobody will ever know. Uh, We don't know. It was sold as this. This is what it is. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. Well, what are you going to breed it to? Well, I'm going to breed it to a zebra jag. Huh? Oh, wait. <laughs> what the
3: hell does that mean? <laughs> huh?
0: I've, 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 seen, I've seen you lose your mind at these birds <laughs> <perp> like it. <laughs> So it's already going to make cross babies. Yeah, but I want pure stuff. Why? So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> there you
1: go. <laughs> I could see um. you not wanting to get into a project like that to breed it into, say, if you're breeding say if you you have like a carmel tiger project or an exanic tiger mm. project where you're dealing with it's pure you know, coastal
0: stuff yeah pure
1: coastal stuff and you don't want it you know you don't want any questionable lineage in there yeah i get it i understand it and then what's even funnier about that is that same person right will have jungles that trace back to an unknown animal but somehow they became pure no, you know but what i'm saying good, you know though. what i mean it's just it,
0: it, it, it's good though. It it it's totally pure. It's fine. It's just frustrating. <laughs> it's a nice jungle. <laughs> it yeah, it's a nice jungle, so it's okay. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know,
1: man. But
2: that you know. doesn't work for any other subspecies blood jungles.
4: Yeah.
1: Isn't that the truth? That's <laughs> so the doesn't truth. Work, doesn't work true. at all
4: for any other subspecies blood jungle. Hey Eric, if you hit your limit with your frustration on the Citrus Tigers, I'll send you my address, and I'm all here.
3: <laughs> no,
4: no, no.
3: He's lying. So I'll share uh, with
1: you. Owen. Yeah, there you go. Share the love. Share the love. All, all right. Sharing is caring. That's right. Yeah. All right. So now that we put that to rest, then we can move on Thanks to real God. relevant topics. We'll,
0: we will never hear another one of those questions again.
1: We have now yeah. put
0: the matter to rest. It is dead. No more.
1: Nah, uh, not true. Yeah, I know. Um, All violators will be shot. <laughs> I'll, I'll be
2: sure to have you guys in the next post that comes up.
0: Yep, every single time. You don't want do you, you to do that. I will not be kind.
4: So <laughs> The gift that keeps on giving. Keeps on giving, yeah. yep.
1: Um, see, that's why we did pick of the week and not a discussion thing, because everybody just posts pictures. You know what I mean? There's no discussion. (laughs) It's just pictures.
0: Who gives a shit what it is? It looks cool. (laughs) It looks pretty. It's
1: done.
4: Yeah. There we go. Uh, Um, it's a carpet. Shut up and look. Yeah, exactly.
1: So let's, let's start talk about keeping carpets and, um, let's let's break down some stuff and see how you guys approach it and 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 try to get some different viewpoints going in here um so we all know that there's different ways uh of keeping spring breeders uh, versus winter breeders um do you think that you can keep all carpets uh, the same because some people say that you can some people say that it's that's not the best um do you think uh you have to keep the more Southern range and species differently than we keep the Northern range and species, meaning, you know, diamonds and inlands and bread as opposed to, uh, Darwin's IJ's jungles and coastals.
2: Who Uh, for me, um, I've had bread here, but it did well keeping them the same way as I keep. Well, I guess, you can look at it two ways. Either I'm keeping the ones that are more northern wrong, or I'm just keeping the ones that are southern. <laughs> like either way, they didn't die and they lived. I ended up selling the breadline I had, but um, I probably well, where I live, it's it's such a range of temperatures, usually on the hot side. So I mean, I would be taking a gamble regardless. And I, like I said, I haven't had any ill effects of it. Once I get diamonds, then I'll be able to tell you better. But I think you could probably keep them the same, uh, especially if they're captive bred. Probably easier
1: over time. So if you had diamond pythons, you would keep them the same as your just your regular carpets?
2: I would try it first. Uh, okay. I'm not going to dump them, so try it. But yeah, I would try keeping them in the same way that I keep everything else. All right. Huh?
1: What about you guys, Owen, Riley?
4: Riley, go ahead. Um, Well, so I only just recently dipped the company pen into some bread lie ink. So as far as spring breeders go, um, I don't really have much to say on that based on experience. I would think that, uh, that it, it, Probably could be done, like Terrell said. You know, with with Captain Brad Adams.
1: Uh oh, we lost. Set him. up the. Oh, oh, <laughs> God. He fell out. Right. He fell out. Right. He'll call back. Yeah, strike one. Huh? Oh, anyway. Yeah the 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 winter the winter breeders and the spring breeders just booted them I, off. Yep, I keep
0: everybody. Exactly the same up until the point that I got my first diamond python. Then I did it differently. So I have kept spring and winter breeders and everybody in the same room at the same temps. My breadline, my coastals, jungles, that IJ thing that I got going on over here, as well as other non (laughs) Morelia species of python, all at the same, uh, even some boa species, all at the same temps. And they've all done great, all bred. And then the diamonds show up, and apparently I uh, went a little too, uh, I I got a little too nervous about that stuff. So I keep them in my upstairs office, and they're in like the, the bottom rack that I keep up there for quarantine. So they're just there, and I'll eventually move them, I think, into the snake room. I just haven't figured out where I want to do it, because i got to find the cages that are going to be the coolest, because I prefer to keep them not as hot as everybody else. Now, I have heard from people like Todd that he keeps them just the same as everybody else. They just live in the bottoms of the racks, and they do fine for him, so yeah, I don't know. I've heard that. You know, and then there's yeah. you who keeps them in tanks, so
1: yeah so riley you got cut off what were you what were you going to say about bread lie
4: so well, i was going to say you know I, i'm a few years out from experiencing uh any you know cooling challenges or breeding challenges related to spring bre- spring breeders but you know given that some of these animals are several generations into captive breeding and have acclimated to whatever we subject them to more or less i don't see why it can't be done i think you know you might not have as much success you might run into fertility issues or i I don't know what or you know maybe not get your animals quite as dialed in as others but um i think it's probably doable there are ways to be creative and not to mention you know the room performs as it does and you might not be as in tune to like the top left north facing corner versus the bottom right southeast corner of the room and who knows how much those temperatures are fluctuating but uh I don't know, I I think it can be done. I think when uh whenever my little bread lie get up to size, which um uh, will be a few years, they are sixteens. Um I think I will probably try to keep them somewhat similar, but you know, maybe air on the side of cooler in the winter and not freak out so much if my room gets a little bit hotter and you know, they're in the warmer end sort of deal. But uh yeah, I think I think it could be done. I just don't think it would be as easy but who knows you know i'm just i'm just guessing here i think the key is
1: is that i think you can keep them the same i think the problem is is that you're not going to be able to successfully breed them consistently and there are people that occasionally have luck uh, and get the clutch uh from here uh sometimes and then you know, the following year, they strike out and they're wondering why they, they struck out. And it could be that the room, for whatever reason, uh, you know, like you're saying, I mean, we can't understand exactly what goes in our room on in our room 24 hours a day. Uh, and I'm sure there are temperature fluctuations that maybe we're not aware of. And if the cage is on the bottom, then, you know, maybe it is a little bit colder just to begin with. So maybe it's getting that without us knowing that it's getting that. But my experience has been, so I I have inland, southern coastals, diamonds, bread and then I have all the northern ones as well. I find that they seem to, uh, don't, I, I don't know. They just don't seem that they do as well. Um, uh, when kept hotter, in my opinion, I, I don't know. It just seems that, uh, that, I don't know. It, I think sometimes it's about optimized, opt, being optimized. Uh, you know, I mean, just because for instance, if you take a person, right. And you could eat, uh, protein bars for the rest of your life and you would probably be able to survive and you'd be okay. But that, does that mean that you're going to be at optimal health, um, and if you're not exposed to certain stimulations, or you know what I mean, like? Uh,
0: well, I, I I get what you're saying, and I mean we we had that discussion before, where it's like, could you keep diamonds like everything else? Yeah, but are you like significantly lessening their lifespan by doing it that way? And.
2: Oh, go ahead. That's uh, what I'd be
0: worried about. I mean, that's what I'd be worried about. And then, of course, Nick has always told us that with bread lie, yeah, you could probably get a clutch randomly by trying to breed them like every other carbon python, but you're not going to get that consistent year-after-year clutch unless you're dropping right. them down like he does. So, right. yeah, you can do it. Are you, gonna, are you doing it efficiently, effectively, and naturally? You know, seems, or as best as you can?
1: Yeah, it seems to me that the guys – And girls that have consistent, you know, uh, clutches and success with these guys are the – that's what they work with. You know, you look like a guy like Greg who breeds diamonds, and that's what he does. and That's all that he has. I mean, that guy has that dialed in, man, you know. um, Yeah and i think it's because of his approach i don't think that if he kept them like he did at jungle that he would have as much success in in my opinion you know but
0: i'd agree so i would agree
2: yeah i would think that consistency would probably be probably be the thing that you're going to run into problems with the most because you're not going to be able to tell unless you have like a good sample size of animals that you keep one way and Some maybe cooler in the same area unless you have them for years and, you know, say 10 years down the line. Once you keep at a warmer temperature, die, but the other ones don't, so you keep cooler. I mean, that would take a really long time to figure out if you're actually harming them, keeping them warmer versus uh, here in Southern California, especially where I live uh, right now, it's currently like 66. It make it down to 30 outside tonight, so it'll be about 69 in this room. And I remember when I got my bread light I got him from the East Coast, and he was a little, a little older than a year, and he wouldn't eat here until it got below 70. And then after that, he was fine after the first year, and then he acclimated to eating warmer. So you may run into things when you hatch stuff, and then getting them acclimated to what you're trying to you know, what you're trying to provide for them may be a
0: little bit I'd agree to that because every late clutch of carp pythons that I've ever hatched coastal-wise that, like, hatch in, like, August are always a bitch to get feeding because they start trying to eat in, like, September, October, and it's, like, that's when everybody else is going down, so their little bodies are trying to tell them to do 18 other things other than eat their damn food. So... um I would probably say that it's like depending on the seasons that they're hatched in or what they're trying to get acclimated to weather wise, uh, in the beginning could really kind of mess them up a little bit, but they'll eventually come around.
1: I've often wondered, and this is a question for you guys and I don't know if I, I'm not really sure if any of us here plan on doing something of this type of pairing, but, um, if you're going to make something like uh, bread light jags or inland jags or something like that, where you're crossing a, a Northern species with a Southern nope. species, what, what would be your, uh, well, let's, let's ask this question first. Is anybody going to do something like that? Does anybody have plans to do that? I do not plan on doing it. Okay. Riley, probably not, right? No,
4: not, at least not in the foreseeable future. I mean, I guess i have the tools to put it together but I I don't know I kind of I kind of don't think that's something I'm interested in it's neat to see the the results that other people get with that but probably not for me
1: I'm going to do a little disclaimer here um and just make sure that everybody understands this real quick when somebody breeds a bread lie what?
0: go on I'm just waiting oh. because I haven't answered yet so I thought you were going to disclaimer what I was going to say no, so, oh, no.
1: Go ahead, Owen. Go ahead. do oh,
0: no, no. Well, I, we all know how well I want to do these pairings. I mean, this has just been so high on my list is to find every single Morelli I could and mix it with the other stuff. But um, no, no, I don't want to. So I'll leave. That, I'm good, man.
3: <laughs>
0: I
1: think that, that that there's this this idea that when you make a bread jag that somehow you're not making a hybrid. You you are you are breadlight <laughs> is not a carpet python. It is a sister species of a carpet python, but not a Morelia spilota. Therefore, you're crossing a pure uh, a full species to another to a different species, aka uh, uh, bread... hybrid.
0: Hybrid. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a bread li- a breadlight jag is the equivalent of taking. Um. Basically, if you took a retic in a teamwork python, they're 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 very close related. They're sister species, but they are not the same species. So, or a chondro and yeah. a rough scale, or that, that sacrilege. We talked about this. You never to mention that on the show again. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: So, yeah, I've right. always been curious, like, uh, you know, when you do a, a a high percentage cross, like if you have, if you're going to make diamond jungle jags, you know, that's probably a more popular one. Um, mm. You know, how do you cycle? Do you, do you have issues with cycling that, you know, high percentage diamond cross? Uh, you know. Oh, uh, I, I've
0: heard of people who do because then they try to drop it down to get the diamond to trigger in or breed. And the cross doesn't really do too well down there or something like that. I mean I've heard that almost the time when you start getting into the crosses that you keep them like other normal you don't you don't you skip the spring breeder part of that, you skip the dropping down part of that. And you just try to get them to breathe normal or unlike a diamond or unlike a bread lie. because so, 'cause I've only heard not so good things when you try to drop them down.
1: Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's an interesting one.
0: Actually, I didn't but, even think of
2: doing that. Not that I plan on doing it, but <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting to think about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now I know Bill, uh Bill Stiegel, he tried doing it and um he had uh he didn't he didn't get a successful clutch um from his yeah, diamond 88 percenters. Yeah. So I tend to think that that's just has to do with them not being cold enough. But I mean, if you're 88% of something, then you're pretty, pretty damn close to being, you know, the pure thing. I think that's the other thing that we should throw out. That's not often talked about. You can't make a species pure again. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, uh, People, you know, it's like 97%, you know, diamond jungle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No,
0: it's never going to be a pure diamond. Never (laughs) going to be there. Never going to be there. Which is why if you are interested in doing some uh, crossing stuff, uh, you know, that's why I always recommend getting the pure stuff and then doing your own crossing for your own projects, because then you know where to start with. I mean, and then you also open the door to potentially even making pure stuff yourself. It, like, we've talked about it before. Um, before you got a hold of Poison Ivy, the first clutch she ever made was to a Jag, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't
1: wow, know why you Why?
2: You're... Why? You're like... why? But, yes
0: yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, but then it's like now... And if something had happened to the animal Now the only link we have back to the animal Is on pure stock So that's why Eric has his little you know, Army of little IJs over there That can be linked back there Because they're pure stock Now if Eric wants to now take one of those little bastards And make Some jags or something else He can because there's still the pure stuff So Right Yeah
1: Okay that's another topic that gets brought up quite a bit. Would you say all the say. time? Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about getting babies to feed. I know to uh, you know you, you just said that uh, you had a problem with when it came from the east coast to the west coast, and I think that sometimes this becomes an issue. So let's talk about maybe some of the tips and tricks uh, that that you've had with getting animals uh, babies. Uh, to feed it seems like once carpets are adults, they're pretty much they're gonna eat. I've never had a problem feeder adult. I don't know if you guys have, but I haven't um, and I, I particularly do. oh I'm sorry, I was going to say I particularly see this with albinos, and I don't know what you guys mm. think of that as well, but let's let's see what you gotta say
2: yeah. Well, on the albino thing, that sucks if it's that hard to feed them because I have three possible albino clutches That's going to Oh, do this you're year. screwed.
0: You're screwed.
2: <laughs> it <laughs> so sucks, I'm a, man. <laughs> so I'm a fire sale. <laughs> um, with babies that I've had trouble feeding um, as of this year, the best thing I've found for them is feeding them quail. I've tried everything else in the book. Uh, over the last couple of years and the ones that I've had trouble with this current year uh, I started feeding them quail. even with sub-adults that were a little iffy uh, feeding the quail kicked that almost immediately like I had one baby from 2015 he is currently still 32 grand and he just ate for the first time on his own uh, a couple of months ago and it was a quail
1: so, what size Jeez. quail are you feeding? Are you feeding them straight uh, quail, or are you scenting the quail?
2: Day old straight quail, no scenting at all. Like a
1: are day, day old quail, like
0: yeah, day a a old frozen old on. quail. Jesus,
1: huh? Interesting. So it's a, it's about seventeen grams.
2: Uh, it's a little long. It looks weird when you're going to feed it to them because it's a little bigger. But so once it's in there you can't really tell
1: right right okay so you haven't had experience yet with the albino thing then no well
2: now i don't want
0: to
1: <laughs> <laughs> too late now so. yeah uh
2: no i haven't done any albino babies yet when we got ours they were yearlings they're a little older than a year so they're okay. already eating um and I don't remember having any problems with them. And now they—they're probably the best eaters I have of my carpet, as
1: far as eating. them quickly. Okay. Yeah. Once they're like I said, man. Once they're once they're in, they're in. You know, and things are good. But it's just getting them to that point. You know. It's not as bad as chondros or blackheads, but it's almost. <laughs> it's almost as bad. It's almost as aggravating. Yeah. Yes. In my experience, and people that I've talked to have said the same, but
4: I don't know. Riley, do you have any albinos? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, funny you bring it up. I was just talking about this with somebody today. A friend of mine produced a a clutch from a zebra head albino to a pure Darwin head albino. And, um, you know, out of the ones that uh, made it out of the eggs, got five visuals and I think like six heads still here. And that's after one of the albinos starved herself out to death, even after force-feeding and decided Crebo food was a better use for her. Um, but I think these babies are like four months old now, and five of them still are not eating. And I, I literally keep a piece of wood nearby so I can bash my forehead with it when I'm frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... Dude, everything that anybody says about albinos being tough to get started um, seems to be evident in this one clutch on my first experience, and it's rather discouraging, but, you know, as soon as I'm about to throw in the towel, another baby starts eating again. Um, So, you know, through patience, I've managed to get three or four of these visuals eating, um, and some of the other babies have come around, but some of them are looking like skin and bones and, you know, I'm not a big fan of force feeding. I'll do it if I need to, but I don't know, man. I, I've got I've got hungry kribos that you know just burn through food, and that's a little easier for me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my my first couple clutches, I was doing the whole force feeding of everybody and trying to make sure everyone stayed alive, and blah 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 blah. I've gotten to the point now where I'm going to offer you food. And if you're going to live, you're going to eat. <laughs> if, you, if you choose death, I'm not going to stop you. So, and it's one of those things where I've, since adopting that method, I haven't really lost anybody. they eventually come around, um, but I'll offer different food items, and there's always something that somebody will take. Um, I have a few on live right now, and because I can't get live as much as I want, uh, they're rather smaller than the rest of their brothers and sisters who took frozen thaw right off the bat. But they're still alive, and they just started taking frozen thaw, so they're going to start catching up. So I'm not in a rush. But when it comes to the albinos, I have one albino boy, and I got him as a yearling, and he was eating perfect. I got him here, and then after, like, two months, he decided he didn't want food anymore, and it was it has been a bear of a time to get him to eat. And he's just now starting to put on more size because I finally figured out what he wants. And that's like a frozen thawed mouse, super, super, super hot. And I like touch him with it once and then I leave it there and then walk away and then he'll eat. If I do anything else different, he will watch it. That's all he does. So things you do for these things.
1: So. Huh. Um, I find it interesting, Terrell, that you said about the quail because, um, in one of the papers that I read, um, they had mentioned that Darwin's, especially young Darwin's feed primarily on birds. So I think it goes, what's that?
2: There's hope for me then.
1: Yes. Um, (laughs) the, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have to find the paper. I have it in my uh, copy book that Owen makes fun of me about, but I have it written down in there. but um, The Magic <laughs> Tone Book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You had to the, call it uh, by correct name. Yeah, sorry. Um, but anyway, yeah, in this paper, it talks about how young Darwin's feed primarily on birds. So I wonder if it's just a matter of, uh, you know, kind of like with uh, young um, pythons in Australia eating primarily reptile-based food that, you know, these guys are eating birds and such, that maybe that's why they're having a hard time. And you're saying that they took it right away, right? Right
2: away. I think there's a secret. (laughs) Yeah, I had gotten a I.J. Hecker in it, uh, I want to say two years ago now, a little over two years ago, and he would only eat live mice. And that is a pain in the ass to go get live mice just for, well, now I have like a bunch that only choose the live mice. But the first time I offered him quail, he took it and now that's like his favorite thing. And which is fine for me because there's I have a local quail breeder and I get them fairly cheap compared to rodents. But it's like, it, it worked for him. It worked for that baby, a couple other babies I've had, like shy shy eaters. That are they're smaller than they should be for their age because they're just really picky, right? But yeah, the birds. I mean, I'm getting to the point where I swear by them because at least in my collection, it's worked Uh out way better than just trying rodents. Just leaving rodents overnight, uh, just throw a quail in there, and it's usually gone like
0: instantaneously. Right. So Uh, now, have any of you guys had a adult? that went off of food for any reason or not?
2: I have three adults that did that this year, actually. My IJ.
0: Okay.
2: My IJ. Is IJ... Is... No, go ahead, Dylan.
0: No, I mean, like, so what was it? was your IJ and?
2: Um, A coastal, two coastals. Uh, striped coastal okay. and just regular coastal, all three of them. They're actually the oldest snakes I have and then all three of them around the same time. I don't know if it got too hot in here because we were getting to like 116, 117 during the summer, so it could have just been too hot, but they stopped eating for months.
0: Okay. Did they eventually come around, or are they still off on that? Okay. Did you do anything different with them or just keep offering them their same food?
2: Um, I started uh, offering them much smaller food. Just okay. to see if they would get. Um The IJ was the last, and she I actually had plans on breeding her this year, but she's not up to size, but she's now eating consistently what she was eating before. All three of them at the same time, like within the same week, just stopped eating all together.
0: That, that is kind of weird, and I would probably jump to the same conclusion you did, that something was done kind of weather-wise. When I've had issues with that stuff, it was... I had a Macklots Python that was stuck on birds. You didn't want rats, you only wanted birds. And I had a female carpet that after she laid their eggs her eggs, didn't want food. And for the Mac, the way I got him off he was doing with the birds, is I honestly got cycled him for the first time. I put him through winter, we didn't have food. He came up in the springtime and I refused to offer him chicken. So he got a rat and he took the rat and he's never seen the chicken since then. So that's what worked for me when it came to the other female that wouldn't eat after she laid her eggs. What I actually resorted to was hairless rats. I don't know if you guys have ever had, uh, if you're broken dealers or anything else offer hairless rats, but a frozen thawed hairless rat, when you thaw it out, smells so weird and horrible that but somehow it is like crack to these animals like you thaw it out and you pull it out of the water all of a sudden you have the attention of every single snake in the room because they have no idea what the hell smells so good over here and I've had multiple adult animals that were either off food or kind of shoddy food take the hairless rat and then go immediately back to normal rats the next feeding and eat all the way through so
4: that's an interesting like approach. It, yeah. A a good point, actually. I've had you know shy feeders feed best when I've offered them a a hairless fuzzy mouse, like some babies. Um mm-hmm. you know, try them poppers, and they they want nothing to do with them. Or I'll, like I'll find it, you know, dropped after in a couple hours. I give them a hairless fuzzy, and that thing's gone. I started doing for a completely different reason. It was just because I figure the the fur is just kind of extra roughage and waste that they're passing. And it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, why not give them more of whatever they're going to process and, you know, cut out a lot of that waste from the get-go. But, um, you know, it might be uh, beneficial in more than just that way, it seems. Yeah, I, I normally
0: don't get them, and they're a little bit more on the expensive side. It's kind of like uh, everybody will tell you. Everybody's got a tips and tricks, you know, African software, stuff like that. So mine's uh hairless rat, so.
1: I have used African furs for animals that were maybe yearlings uh, that might have mm. been picky back and forth, and they seem to take that right away. Um, but uh, I like the – I'm going to try that quail thing because – you know the the clutch of albinos where I had the what four albino zebra jags and you know three albino jags and um you know the odds gods were with me but man was that a bitch to get those guys going and you know when you produce it and you're like finally I have it and then it won't eat you're like oh my god oh no now what am I doing you know so yeah.
2: Oh, okay. and with the um, the one you had trouble, uh, real quick, the one you had trouble switching back from uh, birds. Has yeah. that happened. to Mac the other ones where they want to switch back?
0: Uh, I've had the only ones I feed birds to, I used to feed birds to my Amazon tree bows, and I feed them all to my scrubs. Um, the scrubs will go from bird to rat to my hand to bird to rat. You know, it doesn't matter to them. They'll kill anything. Um, My MacRod's Python, he was stuck on chicks, which was really weird because I got him from and he went on, he was on rodents when I got him from Eric and he was on rodents forever and then he stopped eating so then I offered him the chicks to just get him to eat and then he was hooked on chicks and after that first time cycling, I never let him go back but every time I fall out chicks for the scrubs, uh, he starts whipping around his cage. So he knows the smell and I bet you he'd eat it if I offered it to him, but uh, I need him to gain more weight and he's going to do that faster on a rat than he would a chicken. So, yeah, I've not given him the opportunity.
1: Cool. All right. Um, Another topic that comes up when we talk about keeping um, is record keeping. Uh, So I'm curious of what you guys do. How do you do it? What do you track? And do you use the information that you track? And do you ever share that info? Uh,
4: Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. um, I started out a few years ago using – Kerper Pro uh it was just the first computer software program that I stumbled across and I thought that was a brilliant idea so I just dove in and I actually really enjoyed it uh it kept track of my inventory I could you know keep track of a lot of these details that uh you know seemed important at the time and then uh I kind of got frustrated with it when I started putting my carpets in there cuz it's it's very I don't I don't want to say like designed for ball pythons but it doesn't kind of you know lean towards encompassing localities and stuff. It's just kind of more centric and all that, which is fine. You know, I just treat it the same way. But um, I used that for the longest time. It was great. I got really good at optimizing my food ordering and, you know, being very efficient with that. And then my computer crashed. I lost the program, lost all that data, and I was pissed. So um, I, I'm i hesitant to get back onto the computer and if there's there's one thing that always stands the test of time, it's you know if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And mm-hmm. Andy Grossman turned me onto his uh, fancy uh, Ticonderoga method of uh, pencil and paper, and I I just do you know note cards for each animal, uh, write everything down. I have a stack on a shelf in my room that's got 14 months of feeding records of note cards because I just write it all out each week for what I'm pulling. And then every animal, I just, you know, add more cards as, as they fill up and uh, I have planned to, you know, put it all in a more permanent sort of organized fashion in a binder for long term for future reference. But I don't keep anywhere near as detailed a records as I used to. Like I used to record every bowel movement, urate, uh, you name it, weigh them monthly. And that was, you know, way too much work for you know essentially being not all that useful information at the time um my cards for everybody just uh you know at the header i just have what they are in as much detail as possible who i got them from when i got them any hatch date info if i have it and then i just keep track of uh every feed or refusal um if i catch them going opaque and when they shed and that's pretty much all I put on there. If I happen to weigh them, I'll write that on there, but I don't put too much weight on weight anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then as far as, you know, breeding details, um, I, you know, again, keeping it simple, I, Todd, Todd showed me how he just kind of uses uh painter's tape and just, you know, what information he keeps on there. He slaps a new strip of painter's tape on each enclosure and, you know, rights when they ovulate, when the eggs laid and, you know, when the expected dates are and any lockups and stuff. So, you know, each of my breeders tank has a big, obnoxious piece of blue painter's tape on it with dates and L's and question marks and stuff written all over it. So, and then each year I just start it all over again and transfer all that information onto a note card that I can then keep for, you know, the future years reference. And my plan is to kind of catalog and keep a database of, of every animal in the collection and, you know, what's going on each year. So if I ever need to reference back and just, you know, flip through a notebook and there it is. Cool. So
2: I'm a little more modern than Riley. Uh, I've tried <laughs> to writing stuff down. Uh, not really for me. I'm a guy that likes data. Uh, I like to look back at different, you know, fluctuations and what's going on with the animal. So I have written myself an app that I use. Uh, To keep track of, uh, currently I'm not using it as much because I'm actually developing something communal, so I haven't really been taking records, especially now that we're getting into the cooler time of the year, so I'm only really concerned with the breeders. But um, I usually keep track of weight. Um, I used to do, like, urates, defecations. I don't do that so much anymore. Uh, Food items, and size is something that I'm big on lately, like, especially with the quail thing. So I'm trying to keep track of, you know, what I did and what worked versus what didn't. And um, just like an inventory number, all this data uh, is going to be put into certain graphs uh, so that when I look back on an animal, when I bred this to this, uh, this year versus this year, what the clutch sizes were, you know, when they started eating, what they were eating. So I can kind of give myself feedback on what I'm doing, not so much right, but what I could be doing better and more efficiently. So right now I'm starting from scratch and um, Eric, I talked to you about it a little earlier uh, last week, but um, I started mm-hmm. com. It's a, It's a three-part thing. The classified is just one particular part, but what, and we'll get into the whole Facebook thing and why I chose to do it, but um, it'll be a forum inventory tracking classifieds all-in-one so that all your information is in one place. So if you're talking about something, you can just pull up the information right then and there. You don't have to search through papers and old files and all that stuff. It'll just be readily available by a particular number or notation you give to an animal. Uh-huh. So that's currently what I'm doing now. I'm still in the process of testing it for myself to see if it makes sense. Uh-huh. To do it. So right now I'm just keeping track of food, uh, what it was, uh, what time of day and um, weight.
1: Okay. That's interesting with the time of day. Have you seen anything with that correlates to that info?
2: Uh, around six o'clock in the morning is when most most of my really picky eaters is when when they eat. And that's usually when my Tegu, uh, timer lights come on and for my beard
1: dragon. Huh. Interesting. What about you, Owen?
0: I write nothing down. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants, but, um, actually that's (laughs) not true, but, um, I, I, have the, I have the reptile scan, um, which I wish to God I'd kept up on a little bit more. It's great. I use it for documenting bloodlines, breeding lines, and keeping track of the animals. But as far as the record of what they've eaten, I, I tend not to like to sit there to scan everybody and then adjust. Um, I have redesigned cage cards now so that uh, my babies have cage cards that have their, you know, hatch date their baby numbers, uh, as well as all their food, the times they've eaten, like just the date that they've eaten. Um, it doesn't really specify what they've eaten or anything like that. Cause I figure, you know, you're just going to ask me. So this way it has a date of when they ate and stuff like that. Um, and I can also add if they shed on it it's basically big life events happening in a little baby's life. And this way I can take that card. Uh, I sent out two snakes yesterday and Uh I included the cards in the shipment. So, I mean, it's getting to the point now where it's like I like having it, that it's something, uh, kind of data that I can just hand off. Uh, But I would probably get more into reptile skin if I just kind of got my head around it or quit being such a lazy jerk. But I don't know. Um, I, I, I like having that. As far as breeding documents uh honestly i'd use a lot of um i use the calendar that we have that we put out every year Mm -hmm. i usually put anything i've noticed in the room breeding wise i just write it down on the calendar this way i can flip back to when this happened when that happened um uh, and then i also update the breeding journal that i have on my website so it helps with that as well um even though it does take a while for me to update the online breeding journal, it's opposite. I usually just sit down one day and like compile all my little notes and look at the calendar, then redo my journal on the web page. Cause then now it's like permanent and I know where to go get it. And I never lose that data. Um, I, I've been thinking about getting my own kind of cloud thing for all my pictures, as well as other things like uh, family trees and other stuff like that. But uh, that's pretty much all the documentation I do. So that's why God help you guys if I ever end up accidentally breeding a rare species because it's just gonna be like what'd you do, Owen? I put the male in the female's cage. That's all I got.
1: So Oh man. Yeah. Don't ever try to breed anything rare. Um I know,
0: right? I'd be they'd be furious with me. So
1: Yeah, I use I've used all the different I'm similar to you guys. I've used different kinds. Um, Reptiscan was one that I was using last year, but when I moved, I just haven't kicked back into using it again. So currently I'm not really tracking anything, Um, you know, uh, but I will get back into it and keep track of basically feedings and sheds and stuff like that. Um, I think that the thing of it is, is like, you know, what I found is is that you 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 take all this information down, but what do you do with it? You know, I mean, it's good. I mean, the breeding stuff is good because you can look back on it and you can see when a female, you know, has ovulated or like does she go at the same time every year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, I I think I think to me, like one, this was a thing back in the MP days, is that one of the things that you know was talked about in, I've always wanted to to see it come to fruition was, you know, each year a group of people, uh, pick, uh, you know, whatever it would be. Um, you know, so if you would take a question like, uh, you know, does, does a carpet grow faster if it eats pinks or if it eats rat, uh, hoppers or if it eats rat pups type of deal. And, um, you know, if you had a bunch of people taking down that data, obviously you would have to make sure that they're, you know, that they're taking down it accurately and and representing it accurately. But I think you could kind of pull that data together and kind of get an idea of, you know, what's going on. And I know that's, that's a little bit more on the technical side, but that to me is where I sort of, I geek out kind of, you know, I like to, uh, again, it goes back to optimization and, and, and knowing really how the, what makes that animal tick. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I th- I think we understand it enough to, to, to do this successfully, but could it be better? You know, could we do it better? You know, I, I always wonder if there's more to this than just what we have, uh, you know, like why does, why does a female slug out? Why does she become egg bound? You know, why, you know, what What about our eyes and, and all these different things? And why do you see some people that drop temperatures super low, don't get respiratory infections and other people do um, all these different things? I think these questions could be somewhat answered um, if that data was kind of pulled together. But I don't know. You and I are on the same page. I uh,
2: kind of, so being a reptile breeder is fine. Like, I like doing it. It's a cool hobby. But I I want to see what I can contribute going further. Like, how can we make this better for these animals? Outside of keeping them in tubs and not having, you know, 10-foot enclosures for each one, what can we do while they're in captivity what data can we look at to improve how we keep them?
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and to some people, they don't, you know, they don't really care about that. Not not that they don't care about the animals, but they're quite content. Like, you know, if it's not broke, why, why, why fix it type of deal. And I understand that, but I just think that, um, you know, it seems like, herptic culture in general sort of got to a to a to a certain point to where we can have success and it's just like well we don't want to continue to grow we're just going to stop here and that's it you know and this is what it is <laughs> and then we have these things that pop up all the time and nobody really has definitive answers as to why these things happen and you know I don't know I want to know why. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I mean, Nick did that with his twin thing. Is he asked if anybody uh, wanted to could volunteer up the data for his um, twin research, and that was data on any clutches, not just ones that produce twins. But you know, it was something that he did that was kind of cool to kind of bring everybody in for the research. Um, so it can be done. Uh, you just wish you'd see more of it
1: yeah now riley i'm just curious of how it translates as far as record keeping at a zoo as opposed to in your is it is it more detailed than working at a zoo
4: oh oh yeah we um so it, it's interesting you bring that up so years ago i think it was San Diego Zoo designed uh, a daily daily recording system. We call it the DRS, and we basically um, piggybacked on that design and came up with our own. It was basically uh, a program in the computers, limited to just the network in the zoo, and it keeps. You know, they we can design it how we want, but it keeps track of um, any collection changes, whether they've moved, died, brought in, uh, been taken somewhere else. Medical stuff, weights, enrichment, training, uh, any observations, behavior, reproductive observations, um, general comments, uh, and that's kind of the gist of that system. And we're now in the process of switching over to um, this new program that's more of a—it's a database-style system called uh, Species Three Hundred and Sixty. and it's it's a it's basically a worldwide program where I can look up the entire record that has been kept for an animal in a zoo in Germany if I know it's uh, its accession number for their facility. Um, we still have a few folks you know transferring data from our original daily recording system over into this one and they've been working on that for a long time because it's it's a lot to switch over, but, um, you know, that, I think they whittled it down to more of the important stuff, you know, the entire transaction history of that animal where it's bounced around from collection, any medical stuff, weights. Uh, and again, they can tweak that for, you know, each group, like the, the bird aspect of it might have different things important to it. The mammals, uh, grouping might have, you know, different sections in it. And then, yeah, I think the, the Herp section of it all is, is relatively simple. I'm still getting used to it myself, but yeah, it's pretty basic, like weights, any transactions, any medical history, any general comments, any reproductive information, uh, and that's more or less it, but it's it's different because I can access it from any computer anywhere. It's not just you know, on the zoos network, it is very, uh, global. And I think a a few zoos are starting to switch over to it, uh, if they haven't already been on it. And I think the plan is to make a a global network information sharing sort of system. Interesting.
1: That's pretty awesome.
4: Wow. Great. Yeah. It's very elaborate to say the least. Um, (laughs) they, they brought it up to us and we've had the access to it for, a little over a year now, but, you know, it, everybody's in their habits and myself included. And so it's really hard to to get us thinking about using this system instead. And so they started with just making sure everybody knows how to log in and input weights in there. And they just, you know, are asking that we do that. And I think, you know, the more they sort of explain why we we're trying to make that switch, the more it made sense because talking with our vet staff, they're, you know, always in the clinic. They can't hop into the keeper office and, you know, check our records and stuff. They don't have the remote access to see, you know, weights and things. And if anything else has changed in this animal's history to concern them. And so using this Species 360 program, um, you know, they can be anywhere and check that out. Even if we're not available to show them or help them out, they can see that. And so it's um, it's a bit more streamlined and the idea is to be more effective, I guess hmm awesome that's cool
1: um so i guess you know with taking down these records and whatnot and keeping track of all these different things um, uh, i guess that would sort of segue into breeding and uh i'm curious um what you guys feel is the most important aspect or trigger uh to get your carpets to breed now just as a disclaimer you guys are on the West coast and me and Owen are on the East coast. So it would be interesting mm-hmm. to see like what the difference is in, uh, getting you guys, what you guys do as opposed to what we do. So. Uh,
4: go ahead, Rose. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying not to talk over anyone. I, I'm being diligent about muting myself, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, That must be Owen
1: making all the noise then.
4: (laughs) I'm not making any noise. I'm sitting here quietly.
1: I don't know. I hear a whole lot of noise. Go ahead. Sorry, Riley.
4: No, no worries. Um, So this will – so I've only been keeping carpets myself in a private collection personally for like three or four years now. And only in the last two years have I I had animals up to size and – last year I got spanked. I got skunked out big time. Um, I have produced a clutch of, um, shoot, Oh, caramels and coastals for a guy that I used to, used to work for for a year. Um, I drive up to his place every weekend and spend a day in the collection doing stuff while he worked and did other things and managed to, you know, get my, get my feet wet that way. Um, and I think the, the only reason he had success with them is because of the temperature cycling, because not to, not to pick on the guy, but um, his priorities were a bit skewed and food was not at the top of the list for his animals. And so a lot of them were very underfed and uh, cleanliness was also an issue. I, you know, I won't get into the details of this particular individual situation and whatnot, but um the the fact that he got anything out of those animals was probably only because of, uh, temperature cycling. Um, you know, other than that, everything went wrong for what was going on there and still managed to get some good eggs out of the, uh, out of that one particular jungle, you know, half of the babies didn't make it, but, um, they reproduced. And I think, you know, for me last year, the reason why I got skunked was because, where we are at over here, um, the joke for Santa Barbara anyway is that we don't have seasons, and it's very true. I, every year, make it a habit just to tease my friends that are in the cold that I go to the beach on Christmas Day, uh, and <laughs> it's, it's like 75 all the time. Like, I can roll, a die, roll the dice and just be like, yeah, it's probably going to be 70 today. And last year was hot. Um I was getting ninety degree plus days in December. I had been trying to cool my animals for a while and they were still like clamoring to the cool end and it was temp gunning in the eighties because it was just so darn warm. So I think the temperature and being able to like cycle your animals um is pretty fundamental and i think if you don't do that you may get a little bit of success but i think that would ultimately be the biggest hindrance based on my limited experience
2: okay. i do have to agree with about on that it's what it seems to be here on the west coast uh that temperature is probably the most important thing because like you said it doesn't get cold here often um I live in a valley, so it does get colder than where Riley's at sometimes. Uh, Like, next week, I think it's supposed to be warmer than it is this week. So, it's going to throw my animals up again. Um, Last year, I did everything the same way I did the year before, but it was a little warmer. And I don't know if it was an age thing with the albinos, but they didn't go. But my IJ did. And then I I lost the clutch later because it got too hot in here and they cooked me later when I was at work, but temperature seems to be like the biggest thing. Like right now, I have no males that are interested in females, but for Riley, it's cooler there and he's getting locks. Where last year it was cooler, and I was getting locks, but not not this year. They're like not even interested in each other.
1: Wow. Hmm. That's interesting.
2: It's later than it was. Uh, I did my pairings October 19th, the last two years, and then got lost within the first few days. Now I have males that are, like, they won't combat with each other. Uh, The females are staying away from the males. So it's been a really weird year for me here. But I think it's just Mm. because it's warmer where I live than Riley for the most part.
4: Right. Yeah, I I agree with Terrell. You know, I guess it's very similar in temperature here to where he's at, but he gets more of the extremes, uh, especially when it comes to heat. I finally uh, am fortunate enough to have just a designated room for my animals this year. I just recently moved, and because I'm not uh, sleeping amongst everything, um, I'm okay with uh, letting the room get colder than I would like to inhabit. Um, I've positioned my adults near the window just by virtue of how I needed to lay things out. And it seems to have worked out really well. Um, and I'm able to cool this room much more than my space last year. And so I think that's been a big, uh, big part of it, but I mean, I could still throw the window wide open and just by virtue of everything in here, it doesn't really get below like 68 at the lowest. And I haven't even seen it get that low yet, but, uh, yeah I like to rough that i've I started as soon as the weather was breaking because I didn't know how much cool weather I was going to get this year, and I threw some pairs together and you know my my tiger male won't leave uh, my tiger jag alone um, to the point where I try to separate him and he comes flying out trying to bite me um, my jungles they just yeah they've been going at it I've got. I've already got four locks confirmed out of them and I've, you know, only been pairing them for like two weeks. So, um, yeah, weather for me is a big one.
1: Okay. Yeah. Owen, would you agree weather?
0: Yeah. No, weather is crucial. Um, we haven't gotten to the point where I I've I'm kind of taking it a little slow this year. I've just been kind of messing around with cage temps. I haven't started dropping the room down. Um, I've been kind of waiting for the weather outside to kind of get a little bit cooler. Um, so it just kind of is one of those things where if you ride with the weather, it makes your life a whole lot easier than fighting it. So, um, I'm just kind of waiting for it to cool a little bit down. Plus there's a lot of breeding season to do. I mean, I've had animals that lock up in October and I've had animals that lock up in February and you still get eggs around the same time and all of this stuff really doesn't matter to me. So I'm probably going to start really cooling down in the beginning of December. And then uh, I'm not going to do, I have some pairs are together now, but I'm really not going to start introducing until we get to about Valentine's day and we start to warm up in, in middle of February. So that's what we're probably going to do is I'm going to take my time and really, cool everybody down slow uh, to during December into January, and then kind of do an about face and start warming them back up in uh, early February. So that's the plan. Um, I may be shooting myself in the foot. We'll see. So, uh, uh, I th- but the weather is crucial.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, the pressure, uh, you know storms that come through is 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 pretty key um i think mm. the i think with carpets in particular i think temperature is um is a big factor at least for me um i've i've done uh, a multi a uh, couple different ways uh, i've done it where i've had the same uh temperature like a uh a straight ambient temperature and i had okay success, um, as opposed to when I dropped them, um, I had a much better success. I think the thing though, that people need to pay to, I, I, to me, I believe, you know, if there's, I said this, I said this before, uh, I think that there might be five, six different triggers that trigger an animal to go to know that it's time to breed. Um, I think that, uh, you could hit on three of those triggers and they could be any one of them, and you're going to be successful. It doesn't have to be that you have – like that. that's why I think you see sometimes that, you know, people don't drop their temperatures, and yet they, they're successful. Uh, people don't cycle feed, yet they're successful. Um, you know, people don't have, um, uh, you know, storms that are constantly rolling through and that they're successful. I mean we've seen somebody right. – what was it, last year, and they bred a carpet where the the babies were hatching in December,
0: right? Yeah, that was a uh, Jen. Jen was, Jen yeah.
1: hatched a bunch of babies in like Christmas Day,
0: and it's like, yeah. oh crap! You know, so, I, 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 had cor- I had corn I had cornstick eggs on uh, New Year's Day. So breeding seasons are all weird. And and what you said about storms, I know I had that breeding scheme in my head of not introduced till Valentine's Day. But if we're in the middle of the beginning of February and some giant snowstorms roll in, guess who's going to start going into cages? You know, that's
1: – I know what to do. When,
0: when, I think when there's a big storm outside, put your pairs together.
1: So, yeah, I think, I think the thing of it is like when you're breeding and you start to do this and you're consistent, you're going to start to see patterns. And when those animals have patterns, you have patterns. Everything in the room is sort of is on a zona cycle. I think things yeah, start to follow and they start to flow, yeah, and, you start and you're going to start to see. When you,
0: yeah, and you start figuring out when your breeders do things. Like, I have one girl that always breeds early. So right. I have a male that's going to multiple females. He's going to go to her first because she always breeds early. So right. she breeds early enough that now he can go to other females because his job's done over here. So right. You, got, you learn your room. You learn your animals. You learn their breeding habits. Things get easier. Yeah. Except with IJs. Things never
1: get easier <laughs> They're the easiest of all.
0: <laughs> that is not true. Not true. It's a lie. Uh,
1: that is for me. I don't know. I think uh, Terrell and Riley would agree. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. We're not I'd even asking
2: them. Move on. All of my carpets for IJs. What's that? Yeah. I almost all of my carpets for IJs. That? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God.
1: laughs>
3: That's just sick.
1: There you go. Um, okay. Um, let's see. What else do we got? Um, all right. This is a light, light one. What's your most anticipated pairing of the season? Carpet wise.
2: For me. And it's more of just because it's the time that I put into it would be my albino to albino jag. Uh, April got these with a group of, uh, short tails. She bought and, 2014, I want to say. And we've raised them up to be adults. And last year, like I said, they didn't go, but she was a little over three then, so now she'd be a little over four. So I'm hoping that with her size now and her age, that she'll be able to actually produce eggs. But that's just me hoping. If the temperatures get down low enough, I just checked right now. It's 55 outside, but it's 82
1: in her. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Albino to albino Johnny. That's going to be a cool pairing. Yeah.
2: And it's more just for me because I really wanted albinos. We finally got them. You know, we watched them grow from babies, so it'll be cool to see them actually produce.
1: Yeah. yeah the circle, cool. circle of life, so to speak, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, you! <laughs> so I'm not gonna
0: say anything <laughs> now. But. all
1: right, who wants to go next? Who?
4: Riley, what do you got? Uh, yeah. Um, well, for me, it's a tie between two for two reasons. One, um, I've got uh, that jungle pairing, and, and that thing oh man that female just gets me excited every time I turn the lights on and I look at her I do a little happy dance just because she's healthy and fat and breeding And so for me that is uh, one of them just because jungles were kind of the first carpets that really I saw that I knew instantly like okay I like these animals a lot and I really wanted to you know to get into carpets the moment I saw my first jungle I'm sure there's plenty of people that have that same sort of a story so to produce some jungles would be fantastic. And, and I think, uh, if that's all I got, I I wouldn't be terribly bummed. However, the, the other pairing that's, you know, hand in hand with that one is, uh, a coastal pairing of, uh, a tiger jag to a tiger. And the reason, the reason that one's definitely up there is my, my tiger jag, uh, is pretty much my favorite animal that I have. um, definitely my favorite carpet but yeah as far as all my species she's definitely my favorite just because um she's got some sentimental value to me you know when I was kind of still learning the ropes Todd was showing me tons of stuff and it was just like there's a kid in a candy store and you don't know what anything is you just want to try it all and he threw this girl in my hands that when she was a bit younger and he's like what do you think about this and I was just kind of like blown away it was like my first time seeing one Um, he had, you know, uh, put a bunch of tiger through the generations to get to her, her litter and pairing and it, you know, it reduced the pattern and he explained, you know, how the tiger gene works to me and was really, you know, delving into that. And so that whole thing captivated me. And then, uh, you know, within five minutes of holding her, I was just like looking at everything else and kind of felt something hit me in the face, you know, a couple minutes go by and I... Wipe my forehead and there's blood on my hand. And I look, I realized she had nailed me in the face and I didn't even realize it. And Todd oh, just Todd was laughing at me. Um, but it was kind of like it was my first moment where I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. She hit me in the face. I still like her. I'm into these things. I want to breed these. And then, you know, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with um, Pod's Tiger Jack Skeletor. That thing's got like nearly no pattern on it. And he was explaining yes. to me how, you you know, you keep adding Tigering and you reduce it and you reduce it. And then he goes, oh, yeah, and this female's a, a sibling to him. And I was like, oh, done, so i take it. Yep, that's that's what I want. Yep. And um, and so that to me, like, if nothing else were to go, and I got her to go this season, it would be fantastic because I tried both her and that jungle last year and got skunked. So it's redemption, it's sentimental value, and it's kind of like, my carpet roots, so to speak. Cool. That's. Cool. I'll take that. jungle I like it. Girl, uh, from you.
2: <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I'll, pay, I'll take I'll pick that jungle girl from you. I don't have any jungles anymore. You, you oh, can sure.
4: You really? can sure try. <laughs> yeah. over, Good over luck. My I, yeah, <laughs> I, I got a better idea for you. You could. Um, you could wait. And I could uh, I could set you up with some of her offspring, some babies. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. See how that goes. She's got she's got a lot of great background to her and some striping in there. And she's been with a striped male, so uh, striped striped uh, jungles is is what I'm after. And I know you uh, you're into that a bit, so we'll, we'll set you up real proper if all things go well. Knock on some wood. <laughs>
0: These these are how deals are made, and uh, I actually made one with April at this last Tinley. I don't know if she told you guys about that one.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, oh so. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Am I keeping yeah, all yeah. the babies, or are you guys
4: gonna nut up and get to Tinley Park? Whoa, it's uh, it's, I've already got a little jar. Um, I was telling Terrell about how I, <laughs> I how I squirrel my money away in jars and put labels on them so I don't touch them. Um. There's a Tinley jar set up, and I, right. <laughs> and and I gotta say, uh, I, I go to plenty of shows out here, but I keep hearing about you know going out there, and I've got family in Chicago, and I've been there a couple of times, and I would love to go back. So I mean, there's no reason why I shouldn't go, and you know I'm able to we'll drag Tony and Stephen and Terrell and. Whoever so the else unfortunate we can get.
0: part is is that I told her that you'd have to drag Tony and Terrell. And you and Steven, and basically the entire crew would have to show up or she doesn't get it. So she's probably now, are be we real annoying to you guys. So
4: <laughs> Are we limited to the year or, you know, do we have some wiggle room there? I, said, talk- I said next October. Next so October, only-
2: all right. I will yep. be there 2018. All
0: right. I will have it packed yeah. and ready. Yeah, I'll even have, have a label on it. And God yeah. help me if you guys don't show up. I'll send you pictures of it all weekend. So yeah. And you, uh, actually it was from my most uh it was from my pairing. It was uh my most anticipated pairing. It's a super caramel to exanic. So
2: she, she comes back and she's like, You have to go. I don't care
1: what <laughs> you, you <have> <laughs> <laughs> there's no debate <laughs> she,
0: There's no debate yeah. here anymore <laughs> we,
1: we got the yeah. full guilt
2: trip For a few okay. days Oh, hey Alright,
0: I'll figure it out Yeah, she, oh. She. I told her that And then she was like, I'll start texting them now And then I'm like, I will give you this animal You can get the entire crew here You get them all and put them in front of me And I will hand you the carpet python So now, right. uh, I, I feel like I'm going to start Ticking people off who, uh don't show, come to Tinley Park. I'm just going to find you and start offering animals to people that I know will annoy you enough to get you to come. So
4: you guys are my first check. So i nice. find a new group hey, for next year. If April's okay with the bar tab, then we got to do it.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's between, that
2: is
0: between you and her, all right? Because bar tabs can get pretty high. But Long anyway, Island Iced for everyone.
3: Oh, exactly. Lord. And then
0: everyone's... I
3: had drinks. Yes.
0: A few of those will knock me sideways. I'll start giving away shit. But um, <laughs> That's the idea. Of course. But that would probably yeah. be my most anticipated clutch for the season would be my super caramel to my Xanax because this is a super caramel that I produced myself. So she's okay. my holdback girl, and I've been waiting for her. Um, the other thing is I'm also going to throw Xanax to Tiger. Because I want to start making some tiger head exanics, because I want to start really refining an exanic project that has some tiger striping into it. And then the other thing is mm. that uh, Kyle dropped off two jungle carpets for me to breed um, for him. And uh, it's a scattershot male. And he's like the most beautiful jungle carpet that's ever walked into my coastal inhabited room and I'm like Jesus Christ this is what everyone was talking about
3: (laughs) right I understand yeah
0: I understand now but there's that and then of course the white lips the walmas and everything else so
1: well I don't know which direction to go because we kind of had two things pop up but I I guess I guess I'm going to say this real quick why do you think uh, people seem to be focused more on just producing morphs than selective breeding, besides the obvious that, you know, the, the instant gratification? Um, but and I, I think about this, and this made me think when you were just saying, Riley, about the tiger jag. Now, I mean, we've reflected on this before, you know, back in like 2007, You know, the tiger jag was Mm. the animal. I mean, this was just something that just blew everybody away. And it seems to be taken for granted. Now, I would say it's the albino. Terrell, you were talking earlier about how when you couldn't wait to have an albino carpet, myself is the same way. And now that you have it, it seems like everybody else is like, yeah, yeah, it's an albino. Yeah, big deal, you know. Um, Yep and it seems that we're I, I don't know it's almost like it falls into the dare i say royal python game type of deal where it's just like uh you know it's like how many genes can i stick into a snake uh which is cool i'm not knocking that at all but i'm just saying that um the other thing that made me think of it was, I think it was Ed Bradley that had posted it up maybe a couple of weeks ago, but he posted up an Emerald tree boa. And when you look at a regular Emerald tree boa, as opposed to what he's been breeding for, for 20 years or so uh, with the white, I mean, it's like a high white. I don't know if you guys caught that. I think it was on Morelia, et cetera group and mm-hmm. a couple other spots, but I mean, it just, I don't know. It just seems like, that selective breeding is sort of taking a backseat. I don't know. What do you guys think, and why?
4: Um, I think, like you said, besides obviously the instant gratification, I think there's a couple of things going on. Is um, it's there's a lot of people working with reptiles these days. You know, it's not such a, a rare thing. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And so people probably, I guess, you know, I'm probably included in this. Everybody wants to, you know, have something that's uniquely theirs or something that, you know, people might identify them with like, you know, Bale and Tiger. And, you know, it's just, everybody has these, I don't want to say claim to fame, but, you know, something that they're, they're known for. Like if somebody's like, Hey, you want these, you go to that guy, or you're looking for those, you go to that guy. I think people want something that, you know, can be uniquely theirs and, make them stand out, not in like a shallow way, like to, you know, be the brightest star in the bunch, but just because with so much that's out there, it's really hard to just like, I don't know about you guys, but I see, you know, I get into this stuff and I'm like, Oh my God, there's like everything everywhere. And all of a sudden my ADD kicks in and I'm like, I want that, 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 that and then I have to stop. And like, oh, okay. Uh, I don't own a warehouse and that's ridiculous. And then, you know, part of it is just people want to see it now. They're just impatient. I think that's just kind of, You know, it's, it's, I think, part identity, it's part impatience, and then I think it also has to stem, like you said, from the ball python community just because that's such a pervasive species being worked with. You know, they don't really specify locality. I guarantee you, go ask people where they're from, they're like, they're from Africa somewhere, and, you know, most people don't realize there's like three countries or, you know, whatever that they come from, and there's not much emphasis placed on it. So if it's a ball python, it's a ball python. That doesn't matter, and, and, you know, I don't don't think people look too much beyond that, and so they kind of apply that same approach to whatever species they're working with, and unfortunately it's bleeding over into carpets.
2: I would say it's instant gratification and the monetary value we put on these animals. I mean, we make up the value that these animals are given, but when you you have somebody that comes in and then they see that, wow, I can make X amount of money and have this cool snake. Then they immediately want to do it. They're not really concerned with how to get like how we got to that point where that animal is that good looking. They just want it so they can breed it and then put a high dollar value on it and make money off of it. That's, Typically, what I see. So I spend a lot of time on Facebook. I don't really post anything anymore. I just kind of peruse all of the classified sections, and then I'll type in carpet python, or I'll type in monitor, and I'll see who's selling what for what prices, and then I'll I'll write down by week or by month, you know, how those prices are fluctuating, and who's selling it. Is it somebody that I recognize? Usually, if it's somebody I recognize, the prices usually stay the same, and you can tell what they actually put. Their heart into that project because there's more explanation to it. Blah blah blah. Like today, I was looking and I took a screenshot, but I saw carpet python for sale for twenty dollars. Like, how did we even get here? <laughs> wow, see,
0: have an animal
2: that is now twenty dollars.
0: Was it like half a carpet python, or was it like a whole carpet python? Because twenty dollars. I imagine they're cutting it in the middle.
2: Twenty sixteen wow. female for $20.
0: Wow. Wow wow
2: so it's like that animal wasn't any kind of morph it was I think it was a coastal I don't remember what it was but it was a baby so it, was, it hadn't colored up yet it wasn't showing uh-huh. any true color it, maybe it was like a literal baby right but it wasn't no it wasn't exanic it had no kind of cool marker that would sell somebody on it so I mean what's the value of it then nothing so then you sell it for $20 just to get rid of it
1: wow I didn't know it was I I, I haven't seen that, but man, that's
2: Let me see if I can find it. I save it on my work like, computer. That's corn snake
1: territory. See,
0: <laughs> yeah, I I mean I feel bad listing my normal baby carpets for like eighty dollars. I'm like, Oh god, that's far too low and somebody's listening for twenty. Holy shit. So
2: Yeah, it's pretty sad to see. It's
0: it's discouraging, you know, like when you spend time
2: raising these animals for years to actually get them to a point where you know you can breed them you can pick out the best ones and then move on further with that project when you know albinos are popping out left and right so mine aren't going to stand out anymore which i don't care about i'm doing it for me but i have other Mm -hmm. projects i could do that with but i choose not to because it's not helping anything like i could have Oh, I could have just heavily fed my super zebra, got my male up, made exotic super zebras, and then just sold them off as quickly as possible. But that project isn't as important to me as the albino thing, so I think they're going to wait for another year, maybe the year after. I don't know. I have them, but I don't have to breed them.
0: Wasn't there a pair of albino jags for like, was it 600 bucks?
2: It was less than 500 I think. Depends oh on what God. hour
4: you found it at. Oh, <laughs> oh it was... Oh, Depends on, the depends hour. on what hour... Yeah, uh, dude, that thing dropped. I mean... Uh, that, that guy's got a... Those things are burning a hole through his... That dude's cage apparently. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, like... I don't want to, like, get... Um, I know who he is. I don't know him personally, but I know... Um, that he helps people sell some of their animals or will come into animals that, you know, he's just helping move them along sort of thing with his business. And, you know, I don't want to use the term flipper because that kind of has a negative connotation and he most certainly is not. He's an intelligent individual who's very smart and good at, you know, what he does in his niche of reptiles. And I don't, I don't mean to, Say any of this negatively, which is why I'm kind of hesitant to even get into it because I know people are going to take it and say, "Oh, Riley was saying this and that and putting things." That's not my intent, and I've had a rough day as it is. So if anybody does that, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna really set me off. But um, it's just, yeah, when you don't work in that particular species, it's hard to really gauge the value of those animals, even more so. And if you're going off of somebody's recommendation. And you're not willing to sit on and hold on to them, dropping the prices until somebody picks them up. It doesn't seem like that bad an idea from that perspective. Um, it's, yeah, I guess I should just stop well, right there. But yeah. yeah, might as well.
0: But in my opinion, it is kind of a dumb thing to do because six hundred bucks for a pair of Albano Jags isn't bad, and someone would eventually have spent that money on the six hundred dollar pair of Jags. By dropping them even further, you're kind of slitting your own throat here. You're, you're leaving money on the table because you're impatient. But that's six of one, and that's my opinion, whether or not – I have no idea who this guy is or what we're talking about. But it's just the way the market is in a lot of other things is that people aren't willing to wait. And because they're not willing to wait, they're willing to allow animals to go away for way cheaper than I think they should, where if you just pump the brakes – and hole off, you know, obviously there are the animals that are going to be worth, you know, $300 coming out of the egg. And then they're going to be the ones that you need to wait till they color up. Then they're going to be the ones that need to wait to put some more size on it. So every animal will eventually hit the price tag that you want it for. That's why I tend to price my animals what I know they're going to be worth. And then if you want it, you buy it, and then it grows into what the money you spent for it or... You wait, and all of a sudden, one day, I open up that bin, and now it's going to be – now someone's going to want it for that price. So, I don't, uh, I don't get it. Let's talk about market and really piss ourselves off,
1: Eric. Uh, so, yeah. Well, all right. So, I think – I tend to think that some of this has to do with overproduction. I think that mm-hmm. – uh people are just putting things together and they're not really focusing on growing the community. And when you do that, eventually there's going to come become a point where there's saturation. And I think that overproducing stuff is something that, um, it's kind of a taboo subject. I think sometimes, you know, because you don't want to tell somebody what they they should or shouldn't breed. And I get that. But at the same time, I don't know. I think that there has to be a little bit of responsibility there if you just have I, – I, I guess you could look at it this way. If you if just have these two average jungles, right, and you put them together, and you think that you're even going to be able to compete anywhere close to something that, say, Andrew Paris Head produces R. or Headhunter produces, I mean, that's just you're – just, you're just fooling yourself. You know what I mean? I mean, right. these guys have top of the line animals uh, that they've put years of breeding into, and you're not just gonna if you put two ugly jungles together, you're gonna, you're gonna get, get ugly more babies. Ugly babies. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. What do you, you guys get think one about one good looking one? Do you think that carpets are overproduced? Um, uh, what do you What are your thoughts?
2: I think they are. Uh, That's kind of why I've refocused what I wanted to do and switched to um, more unique IJs. Like, you and Riley both have imports from the same group I have them from. So I'll be working more with stuff like that Uh, and occasionally doing, like, like I have a really cool pairing that I want to do. So I'm going to do it not so much to sell them, but to start a line breeding project uh, going forward but I do think that they're overproduced especially if you get into how quickly we're dropping prices that means
1: that the market there's too many of them yeah I would agree what about you Riley what do you think
4: yeah uh, you know a couple of years ago when I was well, let's say only two years ago, when I was still kind of growing my collection, the shop owner in town that I help out with, you know, he was shocked to see that at two years ago, the price of albinos was, you know, where it was. I don't know, like around seven bucks, seven hundred to a thousand still for, you know, even some some crosses a couple of years ago. And, you know, he w- he kept saying, "I'm surprised that." you know, they haven't dropped like ball pythons do. And I couldn't figure out why, but he kept saying, he's like, well, you know, some of these animals can have clutches in double digits. Whereas, you know, that uh, for a ball python to lay 10 eggs is a big litter sort of deal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they've already crashed, you know, why aren't carpets following the same suit? And, you know, look where we are not even like two years after he said that. And it's, you know, it's like, that's pretty, pretty spot on. So I think part of it is overproduction. Um, And I think, you know, part of it is also speculation. Uh, When somebody who's got, you know, 100,000 followers out of, you know, the Reptile community on some social media platform, and he says something about, oh, you know, carpets are going to drop or if that person starts selling theirs a little bit lower, it sets off a, a domino effect. I mean, one little negative speculation and people start losing their freaking minds just because somebody that they consider you know, very knowledgeable and, and up there and in, in the whatever topic they're getting at, you know, they start believing it and taking it as fact. And, you know, so we do create our own market drops. Now I think everything is going to go in waves and it's going to, you know, everything has their ups and downs and fads come and go and things will kind of level out as people start agreeing with what's an acceptable price for those uh, particular animals. But, you know, I think, um, I think it's going to crash if we keep saying it's crashing. If we say, no, it's going to retain, and we start pumping the brakes and maybe not breeding every single female we have every year and, you know, maybe being a little more calculated and things, I think we can, you know, keep it from going too far downhill, but who the heck knows? Ah, There's no, you know, one right answer, and I think it's a convergence of factors kind of coming to play here. I mean, yeah. Travis, uh, our friend Travis up in Paso Robles at uh, Living Legless, he has some of the most beautiful coastals I've ever seen. No morphs, no nothing fancy, but he's got, you know, meticulous lineage from Nick, and he's very, very particular about the animals in his collection, and it shows. I mean, he's got some some coastals that blow some jungles out of the water. He even sent uh, a photo of of one of his coastals into our uh, like a, a little chat group that we had going on and he's like, I'm just gonna leave this jungle here jokingly. And I knew what it was cause I had, you know, I'd seen that animal a few days prior and it, they're stunning and that's where the quality is on it. But, you know, people don't appreciate that. And, you know, when the next morph comes out and all of a sudden everything starts dropping. So everything else has to drop and it's just a cascade effect and it's, you know, it makes, it makes solid, beautiful lineage, amazing coastals like that. Impossible. He's got animals from last year that he can't sell. He can't give them away. And I don't get it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot of different stuff.
1: Yeah. Owen, what are your thoughts?
0: I definitely think that carpets are overproduced. Um, it's just it's one of those things where a lot of people don't tend to realize that if you still have babies hanging around from the year prior, you shouldn't repeat that pairing. I mean, I know you might have loved the pairings, and I know you might have sold, like, six or seven of them with great ease, but if you still have more than ten from a certain pairing, there's really no need to continue the pairing again for the year. Give the female the year off. Breed the male to a different girl. Do something else. I think it's a lot of the, I only have this pair of coastals, so I'm going to keep breeding this pair of coastals every year. But why? So... Just the way it goes, as far as price dropping, it's dropping all over the place because people are searching for the next ball python thing. And I've actually been approached by several people that want to know if carpets is the next ball python thing. And they don't like the answer I keep giving them, which is there is no next ball python. That was a one-off deal. You found a perfect snake that could fit in a perfect drawer. They could breed with 10 females that was from a country or from countries that didn't have any exportation laws so you could bring them in by the thousands and didn't have any genetic mutations until you started bringing them in captivity. So, no, there will be no next ball python. That happened. It's done. So, um, as far as carpets being overproduced, uh, it's a thing. It totally happens, and you can obviously see it when it comes to the slashing of prices and how quickly a price of a morph will drop. This is nothing new. So, um, you know, there weren't that many people interested in carpets, and even then they were still overproduced. But as more people got into it, the demand for more carpet pythons kind of met with how many animals were being produced. I've never, ever actually sold out every single baby animal that I've produced in one year before the the following year's babies are hatching. Um, The good thing about carpet pythons is they don't color up until they're about a year old. So a lot of times I'm selling last year's babies while this year's babies are growing up. So there's a plus there, but it kind of just comes down to that know how many animals you can handle and know what animals people are going to want, and you won't overbreed. Like I, If I could, I could probably take my caramel jag and breed them to every single female I got. Why would I do that I would have just caramel Jags and I still have caramel Jags from last year so there's really no point He's going to one female and if they don't breed This year I'm not going to cry over it So I mean That's kind of why I've spoken With Erica about this for a few times I have the carpet pythons that's why I'm Also building new projects to play with You know the collie breed projects The womas the White lips things like that other animals Just so you Can breed them too and you're gonna have a little bit more selection on the table.
1: Man, I got ah, I got a lot of things going through my head when it comes to this type of topic, but let it all out.
3: <laughs>
1: First, I would say that everybody knows for the most part that I'm taking this breeding season off, and although yes. I would say 85% of it has to do with my move, you know, and not wanting to mm-hmm. stress the animals out. I would say that the decision is much easier to make when um I don't know if I you know what I mean like I just to me unless you grow the community larger and get more people wanting to get a carpet python I think that sometimes it's you know the overproduction of animals is I don't know I just need to me personally, I just need a, a pause, a, a break uh, from from this, put it together, and really get my passion flowing again for the animals, and, and, and that's where it started, so to speak. I think that when it comes to at least when I was getting into carpets, it seemed like there were certain people that had certain animals and you knew these animals and you wanted something from this pairing. I think somehow we lost that and I want to see that come back. And I think if that comes back, you, I I think this is sort of what you were hitting on Terrell and, and this is sort of like sort of how my, especially with my IJ projects, how they're kind of geared is that I have particular animals that I have that nobody else has. So if you want that, you have to come to me, and I'm not going to drop the price. Like, one of the reasons why I haven't moved any poison ivy babies is simply because you're not going to want to pay what I think they're worth. And I'm not saying that they're thousands of dollars, but I'm not selling them for, what did you say that carpet was? $25? Get the hell out of here. $25, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you get a free leopard gecko with it? Come on. Oh, my uh, God.
0: I, I didn't know. Uh, oh, whoa. Whoa. whoa, whoa. I did not know it came with a free leopard gecko. Well, that's a I'll game me. <laughs> Oh It is. Yeah. All right. That's like a $40 value now. Okay, for $20? Holy crap.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: and
1: I think, I mean, leopard you bring Gettos up. those are the new ball python. Yeah. All, they are. They are.
2: They, totally are. I mean, they really are, actually.
1: <laughs> well, no, the
0: scary thing is is when was the last time you saw a wild type leopard gecko at a show? What does that even look like? It looks like a leopard, because that's where they got their name. Hmm. I know, right? So, And I, I said that to Eric, and Eric said the exact same thing. What do they look like? I'm like, they look like a goddamn <laughs> leopard in a gecko. So, <laughs> that's exactly it. They've been bred so much, no one's breeding wild-type leopard geckos anymore. They have to go out and find new localities to make it interesting. So that's, I think, unfortunately, where some snake species could be headed.
4: So
1: go yeah, on, Eric, okay, I'll I'm, talk to
4: you. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Riley. I was going to say, I uh, I jokingly, but the more we get into this, I'm kind of serious about it. Um I only have two ball pythons and they're both, uh, wild types, classics, normals, whatever the hell you want to call them. And for this very reason alone, I, I like to mess with people's heads when they, they talk about it. I was like, yeah, um, I'm pretty excited about this project. I don't really know if I should say it, but you know, I got this, this, this gene that I'm working with and it's, um, uh, it's the B-A-N-G and, you know, I, I jokingly want to breed my normals and call them badass normals, and just put an acronym and just mess
0: with
4: people. That was dollars.
0: Oh my
2: god! Yeah.
0: Oh, for yeah. thousands
2: of
4: dollars. Yeah, yeah. Put them on sale for a grand. I'm the only person in the world that has. Them. Sorry. I
1: think. Oh I think. I think part of the part of the other issue that plays into this is the fact that people see other people. You know, like you know we've seen Nick and Paul and Jason and, and and Todd and all these guys that have been doing it for, for, for a while. Um, and, and, and they sell their snakes and they don't, they don't really have a lot of issues selling their snakes by the end of the year, so to speak. You know, I mean, I mean, I think so people are attracted to that sort of like what your guys were saying about the money part of it. Um, and I think, that they think that they're going to be able just to buy these snakes and then just breed them and then just be able to sell them. But the problem is Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't work like that. You know, like you have to put work into it. You have to put work into, uh, you know, making sure that people know what your name is and who you are and and what kind of animals you have. You can't just show up. As much as the animals will sell themselves, which is just bullshit because they won't. It is. You know, no. they just won't. <laughs> um, They'll sit there. <laughs> you know, okay, you could so have
2: me this. Here, oh, go ahead, Eric.
1: No, 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 go ahead. What were you going to say?
2: We were talking about that exact thing because we were talking about, you know, people come in, they see the prestigious names have this animal. Their animals look like this. So they buy from this particular person and they continue uh-huh. to buy from this particular person. And then mm-hmm. they breed them and they're from the same person and they try to sell them on, like, as their own animals. But it's like, if, if I oh. saw them and I knew where those animals came from, why wouldn't I just buy them from the person that you got them from? Correct. Like, I, don't, I don't know who you are to actually be like, well, yeah, I can trust that guy and then
1: buy them from you. Even if I did know who you are, why would I buy it from you? Why wouldn't I just go to the source?
2: You know, to go I mean, it's
1: back exactly the source. Yes.
0: <laughs> that's that's it, why you need some different projects. You know, it's okay to buy one animal from one person and then buy an animal from a different person because if you just keep buying brother and sister from breeders, you're not going to have anything different. And, and I've had it where I've produced tigers from my bail in line animals and then had to set up a table next to Jason Balin and try to sell my Balin line Tigers next to Jason Balin like, and they didn't right sell well.
1: So right from. I mean, exactly. Why am yeah. I going to go
0: to you? The guy's right
1: there. So well, I think, I think part of that, part of that has to do with the fact of, you know, you want bragging rights. I think people want bragging rights. So is it going to sound better that, oh, check out this tiger, and I post it up on Facebook, and it's like, oh, who produced that? Oh, Jason Balen did, and people are going to be like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Or is it going to be like, oh, who produced that? Oh, Owen McIntyre. Oh, big deal. You know what I mean? Fucking awesome.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mean we it.
1: With that one. I'm sorry. I, well, I'm just saying <laughs> because you said you were next to the table, but what I'm saying is, is that the person that doesn't know you or doesn't know him – they, they want the bragging rights to be able to say, well, my oh, animal yeah. is a Balen line tiger. You know so what you, I mean? It's uh, like,
0: we, and we've talked about that. There's always the people who come up to the table who say more last names ever than than their own. It's like, oh, I crossed my Balin line animal with my Mojo-Line animal with my Howard-Line animal with my this-Line animal. I'm like, how many animals did we just talk about? Because all I heard were last names, and I'm pretty sure there were only two involved. So... That's the. That's a lot of. Definitely, the bragging rights tend to come through. But that's
4: you should also favorite. be
0: proud of your own stock. I mean, that's why I'll. I just throw up tigers, and I won't tell you who produced the parents until you ask me. It's like mm-hmm. these are my tigers. I made them, and then they're like, "Oh, what line? Oh, they're bailing line."
1: There you go. That's smart. Why. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, This is where, well, this is where we go back to the question at the beginning. Is like, how do you label your animals? So, you know, I've struggled with this with citrus tigers. At some point, I just want to put tigers on it and not be <clears throat> locked into the citrus tiger. But the problem I have with that is that I don't want that to be, I don't want somebody to come along and think that, you know, that lineage go is, is 100% back to the original line of tigers. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, right. How do how do I how do I do that? Do I do I call this citrus? And then I got the people that are coming up like, oh yeah, that people think that citrus is a gene. They're just that's just stupid. And I'm first of all, have you ever even seen one in in real life? So like, if you haven't seen it, then you need to shut the hell up because, I you know I, I oh and you've seen them, you've seen the ones that look have. this way. And you've seen the one yeah. that looked that way. And I think yeah. that if you saw, you would see, okay, well, whether it's a gene, whether it's polymorphic, whether whatever you want to call it, it's there's something different. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you call a exactly, red exactly. coastal I, a coastal. A red coastal. Well, and you don't just call it a, red co- or a coastal. Why do you do that? Because, because there's there's something else there. there. Right.
0: <laughs> Again, you're not leaving money on the table. Now, if I were to take... A normal tiger, like straight-up tiger line, next to uh, a red tiger, next to a citrus tiger, next to like an you know, but you're going to start seeing the differences between everybody. So, yeah, I've seen enough tigers to know that with the citrus tigers, there's something else there, and that you can't just label them as tigers as much as you'd like to, because of the fact of their lineage, plus the something else that is there.
1: But so, also... I'm not saying that it's some magical new gene. You know what no, I mean? So it's just, there's like kinda like, of like a
0: telling it like it is.
1: There's kind of a balance there because I know that some people will come along and you got this like, oh, I got this new gene and it's blah blah blah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's kinda of nuts. You mean you um, mean you're not one
0: of those guys that immediately jumps to this freaky thing that I hatch has gotta be a new morph, let me name it and try to reproduce <laughs> it and get as much money out of it as possible?
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Good job. Yeah. So, I think with all this talk of, uh, you know, overproduction over-produ- of carpets, which has probably led us to the next two things in the last year, is both wholesale and auctions. What do you guys think of mm. those two?
2: Uh, go ahead, Riley. You have more experience than that. <laughs> dead
0: silence.
1: <laughs> Ooh. Dead silence fills the
0: airwaves. Was that, was that a shot? Oh, my God.
4: Uh, man, why does the auction topic always come up with me? Damn it! Um, no, uh, wholesale. Yeah. If we're wholesaling stuff, we're we're overproducing. I think that's just kind of <laughs> where it goes. I, I, you know, and that that goes back into the misrepresentation. Like, if you're wholesaling them, how are you going to guarantee that the people that are going to turn around and sell them are going to accurately represent that animal to those? To the next buyer and you know to me that is just like if if I'm producing carpets that I can't sell um, you know and say I've got the customer base already for it and say my name is much more widespread and this and that and they're still not selling you know that, that to me is a couple of red flags right there so I don't know I hope I never get to the wholesaling point um, that being said this year I did wholesale off a couple of rainbow boas just to you know open up some space because I was not prepared for 34 babies in one litter, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, that was, wow. I actually just sent off the last pair of those the other day, but, um, yeah, I mean, like if we're wholesaling them, doesn't that, doesn't that mean we've got too many of them? I mean, yeah, sure. Some people are going to wholesale some stuff just to, you know, be done with it and they don't really care too much. I'm sure. But, I don't know. And then auctions, it's kind of in the same thing, like, unless it's, you know, for good intent it's like, what else am I going to donate to this auction? That's, you know, benefiting us Ark or a victim of a tragedy or something like that. Like, I, I think those are a little different, but um, you know, it's kind of, it's a touchy subject. Um, I don't know. I think if we're getting to that point, we really need to start looking back and, and asking ourselves, are we doing this the responsible way? Are we overproducing? Should we maybe take a year off? Like, imagine if the entire Morelli community took a year off, what that would do to the market. Uh, what, baby 2016 uh, albinos, man, I'm sorry, they, uh, they skipped a year, and by they, I mean everyone, so hmm. you get what you get. Like, imagine if we limited the, you know, the market that way. I have no idea what it would do, if that would, you know, level prices out, or if, you know, that would turn people off from Morelli entirely, but, like, what if? Like, I don't know. Are we are we doing too much, maybe? So, let's go.
1: Right.
2: So, as so far as wholesale, um, why are we wholesaling it? Are you fulfilling a obligated order to, like, a, a dedicated reptile shop that happens to buy from you when you have large clutches? Or... Did you produce more animals than you want to actually take care of and want to waste the time trying to sell? So you're just getting rid of them. It, depending on the reason, there, there's pros and cons to it that I can that I can see for doing it. I've never whole, whole I've never done any kind of wholesale, but I was telling Riley earlier that when I had a uh, baby from last year. I was going to wholesale themselves and get supplies and then I didn't up doing it. So I've thought about it before, but I've just never actually done it. And as far as auctions, I'm with Riley on that. If it's for a good cause, then that's fine. Like uh, in January at the Pomona show, I won an auction for some probably wholesale uh, plated lizards. It was for us arc. So I had no problem buying them. They died. <laughs> so it's like I, I didn't have oh, no. money doing it, but now I don't right. have the animals that I was trying yep. to get. So, I mean, auctions are very, they can be very damaging, especially because it only takes one or two auctions of a particular thing to be a certain price, and then that seems to be the set price for that animal going forward. It's like, well, I saw it on the auction for this, so this is what it now is. When in reality, it's not true, but you can't. You can't really stop it,
1: right? Owen? Yes. <clears throat> anyway,
0: um, what I feel about auctions is you're pretty much limiting yourself. You're, you're cheating yourself again. You're leaving money on the table because you're impatient. And is that because you bred too many of them probably so now people will come back and say that you can set a uh what the hell is it reserve Money yeah, so hey, the reserve's two hundred dollars, but okay, now you're automatically saying that no matter what you believe this animal's worth two hundred dollars. You're hoping to get more for it, but it's worth two hundred dollars. That's your reserve so now. Is say that animal doesn't sell at the auction and you take it to a show and you try to sell it for two seventy five, which is what you originally priced it at, nobody's gonna want it because they saw it online for two hundred dollars. That's where we're going. So what you're doing is you're you're trying you're set you're setting the basement. You're 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 already slashing it down to where the basement is. And you're hoping to God that you don't go below that even though you'll see where it's at. Now some people will say Clearly, by the auctions, we now know what people will spend for a carpet python. And I don't think you do because I've had numerous people come out of nowhere and just spend a bunch of money on a, car- a carpet python because they like it. Um, I had a uh, Baby Jag get shipped out yesterday, so we paid uh, $200 for it. I put it up there because it hadn't colored up. It looked pretty. I produced its parents. Um, I raised its grandparents, so I kind of knew where it was going. They bought it because they wanted it as a pet. They really like carpet pythons, really like Jags, really like her sun, whatever. So I could have sold that thing at an auction or wholesaled it out for 60 70 bucks. Ended up selling it for $200. So it's kind of a no-brainer here. And people say, how long did I keep it and have to raise it up for? It hatched in June. I fed it a couple hoppers. Not that long. So patience really does kind of help you out here. Uh, That's as far as auctions As far as wholesaling, I've done wholesaling I've done it before Uh, I wholesaled my first ever clutch of carbon pythons That I ever produced Um, It was a jungle coastal to a coastal They all came out looking like carpet pythons Um, Wholesaled the entire clutch Not feeding, sold them all Um, I've produced So I've produced enough carbon pythons in one year That I kind of got A little overwhelmed And made the decision to wholesale them out for my own sanity and ended up only wholesaling about 10 or 12 of them. That's kind of where I usually draw the line. And they're usually all straight coastals, no morphs or anything like that. So I know that they're going to be sold at some table for like 60 bucks, 70 bucks is what it is. Um, I know other breeders that also wholesale if they feel a little overwhelmed by the year. And maybe they shouldn't breed that many, but whatever. Sometimes you don't expect all the females to breed, and sometimes they surprise you and do it themselves. So it's kind of easy to where you can get kind of a little knocked sideways. Uh, I try, So basically I'll try to say this thing. I will actively avoid auctions because I don't like them, because I feel like I'm undercutting myself and my animals. As far as wholesaling, I will do it but I like to avoid it if possible.
1: I think, I think before we move on, segue into the next topic, I think, I think the auction thing, I think the thing that I, I agree with Terrell, pretty much what all you guys said, as far as, you know, when it's for a good cause, I look at that different. Um, As far as, I mean, if you're going to do auctions, then I'm not going, it's not like I'm not going to talk to you because you do auctions. Um, personally, it's not something that I would do because I feel like it devalues the animal. And I think that an auction becomes an impulse buy. So I would much rather develop a customer base that would come to me and I can give them that same type of deal behind closed doors because they're a good customer, um, rather than doing it out in the public like that. And I think that sometimes when you, I mean, I mean we've all made impulse purchases that we've regretted. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like you think you get super excited about something and you're like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to go and get a a whole bunch of these and I like this and I like that and blah, blah, blah. And you know, next thing you know, you're like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I I gotta, I gotta pump the brakes here because I don't even know if I like this species. You know, I mean, uh, me and Owen were talking uh, last week about that with condros. It just seems like, you know, as much as I love condros, it just seems that for me, it's like I get just kicked in the nuts every single time (laughs) I'm trying to do anything with (laughs) condros, you know, and it's just like I can't keep I can't be so successful with this group of snakes and be so unsuccessful with this group of snakes. And I just don't understand why. Um, And it makes me like, okay, well maybe this is a snake that I have to appreciate from afar. Uh, And it's not something that um, conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Something that I necessarily want to work with because I don't want my, my keeping experience and breeding experience to be negative all the time. I think that, We've no. somehow made that if you breed a species that's easy to breed, that somehow you're not relevant in the in the herpetoculture world. and I think that's such bullshit, you know It's like,, yeah. I have to breed Bolin's Pythons in order to be somebody. Fuck you, You do not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I just think that's just so ridiculous. And even if you don't want to step outside of the carpet world, I mean, everybody talks about white lips are hard to breed and scrub pythons are hard to breed. Did you ever try diamond pythons? Maybe you want to try them before you step outside of the world. You know what I mean? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I just think hey. that, like, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that I have a problem with people that do it. I'm just saying that they It's. I don't think that the people that necessarily are doing it are people that want to mm-hmm. do it because, like, you take somebody like Keith McPeak, right? This guy is like. What I'm talking about with carpet pythons, he's talking about with his Bolands pythons. This guy is passionate about Bolands pythons. He's trying to figure out these animals because he's bred all these other animals. He wants another challenge. He's moved up to the next level. He wants to see if he can do this because he wants to apply everything he learned from working with all these other different species. I have no problem right. with moving up the tier but there's this new person that comes along and sees something on Facebook and is be like, well, I'm going to be the guy that breeds Bolin's pythons. No, you're not.
0: (laughs) You know, you're not. (laughs) You have no idea what's going on here.
1: Yeah. And and it doesn't make you any more special than the guy that bred an albino ball python together. uh, To me, in my eyes, in my opinion, you know, as long as you have passion for the animal, I think that's what gets lost. It's like, you, you have to have this, this badge of like, oh, well, I'm Mr. Hurt the Culture because I, I, have, I have 42 Scrub Pythons. And what happens with every single person that gets Scrub Pythons? I see it every single time since I've been doing Python Radio Python Radio. They
3: them. go out. Yeah.
1: They buy a whole goddamn group. They have like this 45 Scrub Pythons. And then all of a sudden, they're like, I got to sell my collection.
3: Why do you think yeah. that he happens?
1: Suck. <laughs> because they suck. They fucking bite your face. They shit all over you. They, you know what I mean? You can't breed them. There's no, there's no gratification in, in it. Nobody can just go and say, I'm going to try a pair of them. You know what I mean? It's like, no, I have to have I have to have this locale and this locale and this locale. Di-Pero, and it's just like, Lamina, what, what are you doing? Yep. I don't know. Yep. It just... I don't even know how I got on that rant, but <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I, like I, I, I don't even know, so, but
2: yeah, I have a buddy Mike who has he has a pretty good uh, assortment of animals. Riley's seen him; he's got probably the coolest collection of pythons, lizards, anything you can think of, he has it. And so uh, I've been working with him on the weekends, helping him take care of his collection, and he's got albino olives, olives, scrubs, papoomis, water pythons, and like looking at as, yeah. as some clean shit and they're trying to musk and fucking bite me and they're like, yeah, I mean, these are cool, but I get to go home at the end of the day. Like, I don't have to take care of them. I don't want them anymore. Like, Correct. being able to see what they're like instead of just going out and being at a show. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll pick up a couple scrubs try those out. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, I like that idea. I had a friend who wanted to do. I had a friend who pretty much fell in love with my macaws, and he's like, "I want a Liasis. I'm like, "You need to come over here, and I need to take you to to, you know school before you go out and buy something stupid." And he came over. He took care of my olives, my macs, my civus, my water pythons, and all this other stuff. He ended up not getting a mac. He ended up getting a civu because he liked them better, and they seemed to be way better mannered and more suited to what he could afford and take care of. So, and that was, he tried to buy like three or four Maclots pythons before he came over. So a lot of times we see this stuff, we're like, Ooh, pretty Mm -hmm. shiny snake. Exactly. So, and that happens all the time. And even happens to me. I mean, I don't, I hate my Dominican red mountain boa. I hate them so much, (laughs) but (laughs) I don't know why I keep doing this. But it, it it happens. They're cool, they're pretty, and then after a year or so, you could totally despise them. I mean, and that was the conversation Eric and I had as I, 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 I we were talking before the show in the pre-game, in the pre-show show, I don't know what the hell, Um, and I'm like, listen, would you, like, do you think it would be a horrible thing if I got rid of my condros? And he immediately is like, no, no it wouldn't because I hate him. I'm like, oh, well, there we go. So – and it's even worse I think for the two of us is because we keep having all these really passionate breeders on the show who talk about their species of snake that they absolutely love and are passionate about and then we somehow get hooked into it. Yeah, I dislike blood pythons. Somehow I ended up with one. So,
2: well, yeah, I'm blocking I... those by default.
0: Oh, <laughs> that you have no you have yeah, no you don't have a choice. You're done, yeah. dude. Yeah, you know, you
2: <laughs> We have two that in no, short
1: time. I can't complain. But. Yeah, you know. I should I should clarify something real quick. I'm not saying that, that that I know people that that are into scrub pythons and they're super passionate about scrub pythons and they don't give a shit about what the market is or if they ever produce them or if they get bit in the face 15 times. They don't give a shit because they love the species, and that's awesome. And that's the people that should work with those species. Mm-hmm. What I find sometimes is like, especially with you take a, a, an animal like a ball python, right? Mm. It, it's an expensive animal. You're not just going to run out and get a pair of these things. And I think that sometimes that it doesn't fall into the hands of the people that really would work the species well, you know, because they can't yeah. afford it or they can't, they can't get into that level. I I just think that sometimes that's a shame because you know ultimately the species suffers in herpticulture, if that makes sense if I'm saying that right right uh, I, I don't I, I and I just because you have a Boland's python doesn't mean that you're like some elitist type of person I'm not saying that I'm just saying that I think that some people if they're honest with themselves. I think we've all done it. I'm guilty of it myself. It's like, oh well, I'm E.B. Morelia, so somehow I have to have just as many chondros as I do carpets. Not really. Nope. <laughs> or nope. I, I have nope. to have a rough scale. No, I don't. <laughs> you know, well. I, I'm happy with what I got. You know, and that's and that's fine because see, Owen, you're super passionate yes. about rough scales, right? I you're am. Just like yes. You're just like crazy about these things. To I me, I am. <laughs> To me, it's a bumpy I think. Brown snake. Yeah, it's like okay, it's cool. It's from Australia. One day I'll want it, but uh, it's not something that I have to have, and I pumped the brakes on that because I want like twelve in my in my, in my past early days. I would have ran out because I thought that somehow that would have made me more legitimate. If that makes sense,
0: right?
1: Yeah, and I hate to. I, I mean, I hate to break it to you. Abracadabra does nothing for
0: me. So there you go. That's the trade-off. Exactly. When they come in, you're going to be like,
1: eh? It looks like a ghost. eh, It's a carpet python,
0: and you'll be like, what? I'm like, it is what it is.
1: So, I think I'm sorry to keep harping up all the time here, but I think that I think that we have to have more of an open mind in the whole. Forget about just in reptiles in the whole goddamn world. It's like if if somebody else has a differing opinion of you, somehow now they're on another team and you have Mm -hmm. to fight that team. And it's like, no, that's bullshit. Why can't you just be happy? Well, like for instance, here's an example, rough scales. I'm happy that Owen's super passionate about rough scales, but that doesn't mean that I have to like, well, uh, just like he just said, well, like, Oh, well you don't like imprecata. So you must be a moron. you know what I mean? And he's like, Oh, well you don't like rough scales. So you must be a sucky keeper. You know, it's just that, like... That, that, uh, that
0: is actually what I'm like, and I've said that numerous times,
1: but... Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't know why
1: I just can't celebrate the fact that, you know, <laughs> oh, Owen is super excited about this species. Why are you super excited about it? And then maybe because he's super excited about it, maybe it will get me super excited about it, and maybe I'll get one, and then who knows? Maybe I'll be just as super excited about it, and maybe I won't. You know, I think I think that's sometimes where we missed the ball is that, you know, instead of trying to copy what everybody else is doing, in my famous line, you do you, boo, type of deal, <laughs> and you you focus on what you're doing in your snake room, and I think everything else will fall in place. I don't know. What do you guys yeah, think? I'm, be, I'm done talking. You'll be fine.
4: <laughs> Good. I, I agree, with, I agree with that entirely. I think uh, a big thing that would keep people from diving off a deep end like that is, getting pulled under somebody's wing and getting to experience their collection in some variety and learn from that before they go out and jump into things. And yeah. um, I had a moment where, you know, like four years ago um, I felt that where I was like, you know, getting the the real excitement and after I was like, Oh my God, I can keep all this and this and this. And it, it only takes this much space. And, you know, I was, I could I could feel my gears going and like I was about to just take off, but, I guess, uh, it didn't really go too deep for me because working at the zoo, I see everything. And at first I'm like, I want all of this. I want multi tail skinks. I want Australian rail dragons. I want, oh, you God. know, I want, uh, shoot, what else do we even know? I don't know. I want freaking caiman and turtles and this and that and milky frogs and, uh, bull snakes and hognose and everything. But, you know, after a couple of months of doing that, um, you know, the novelty of it all wore off, and I was kind of like, eh, I'm glad <laughs> I didn't go spend $1,200 on a muggy tail skink, because after you get bit by those things, like, three times, and you start to have to plug holes with super glue, that sucks. And, uh, yeah, I'd rather yeah. those there. So. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I got nailed by one of our big females the other day, and I wasn't even looking, and that sucked. <laughs>
0: They bite hard I mean Mike Curtin got uh, He was telling me at the last White Plane show he and I were talking He's got a few monkey tails That one of them was like licking the back of his head And he goes oh that's nice and it just bit down And he goes what the hell So it just like bit on the back of his head And he it's really nice kind of V-shaped marking From where the thing kind of just mm-hmm. bit and held on And I'm like wow yeah,
4: They do that the babies nice. do it a lot yeah. Pharrell and April came to the zoo, and I was showing them some babies because we had twins last year. And uh, one of them was already noticeably friendly, and the other one was not. I went to go grab the friendly one off the wall, and it left off the wall, latched onto my thumb while they were watching, and took the most gnarly hole out of the tip of my thumb, and everybody had a wonderful time laughing at me bleeding.
0: Well nice. So it was a basic normal trip to the zoo. So <laughs>
4: yeah, standard.
0: standard. Jesus yeah, standard Riley trip. All right, cool. I yeah a I can admit a lot. Me <laughs> too. That's why Owen doesn't work at the zoo anymore. He got tired of holes in his yeah, head, yeah.
1: so Alright. Yeah. Go ahead, Terrell. You gonna say
2: something? Oh no, I was just gonna echo Riley's point about I think it's advantageous to be around the animals that you want because every- you pass it, and it looks cool, and you see somebody else getting it, and you're like, man, I really want some of those. But until you actually work with it and see it, like, I wanted water python, but that is, like, oh, the fucking God. snake I've ever seen in my life. I was like, fuck that. I don't want that. Never mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, my, You I must have, to have saw Owen's email. email. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I have, to, I have to keep her bin covered, or she will mess up her face. And, like, and she'll like, I'll walk by it, and then she'll keep hitting the front of the tub for at least 20 minutes. And cleaning her and feeding her is always an adventure. And my dumbass moved her up to medium rats, so now she's starting to get size on her. You know, apparently this this animal will be the death of me. I already know. And the male is the sweetest thing on the planet. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, buddy. In a year, you're probably going to have to go in there. So, you know... <laughs> Is yeah, is. and it worked out water dogs, dogs. Because,
2: Yeah, you but you enjoy them. For me, it was more of just a pleading <laughs> Oh yeah, this is a cool snake. I could, you know, I could get some of those. I I don't think that anymore. But right. <laughs> that's just that's just how it goes. You're trying out different animals. Like I was that's little Riley today. I was like, so I bought something new, and he's like, what? And I was like, lizards. And just, what? <laughs> <laughs> Shit with
0: hands! <laughs> oh no,
2: this thing's got feet <laughs> and four of them.
0: Oh, uh, what so, kind of lizard? I got cave geckos, a trio of them. Oh. oh, 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 okay, all right, that's cool. I like cave geckos. I thought yeah, we were going to go pretty. like cro- if we if you had said croc monitor, I would have been like, well, this will be the last time we speak
1: to Terrell. No. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He might be able to He's wrestle gone. one of that
0: man. <laughs> you remember you the croc at Andrew's place? No. No one wrestles crocs.
2: I just don't like big lizards anymore. Like My kegus are the biggest that I want now. I've had monitors in the past, but I just like more, I guess, things that people don't have a lot of. I like working with those. Like I I I'm really into plated lizards. And they're perfect for me because mm. nobody needs to buy because 'cause they're forty dollars and no one ever wants to breed them. So I'm like perfect.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm like
1: <a> <laughs> yeah, but you know all of them. <laughs> to a certain extent I think things are cyclical and you know, you see like uh ring pythons. I mean, they pretty much disappeared and then all of a sudden their price went from a hundred bucks to a thousand bucks. And, and it's not that the price matters so much, but I think the fact that at least they weren't lost, um, in captivity, um, you know, uh, and Mm -hmm. somebody, somebody stayed working with them because they were excited about them. Um, Mm -hmm. and and I think that's a cool thing, but I was going to say, I guess this leads into the, uh, the, the topic of the community, um, and, you know, we were talking about how Facebook – I personally can't stand Facebook. The more and more uh, days go by, I am on it less and less. Uh, I use, like, the messenger to chat thing more than I do the actual Facebook. If it's not snakes and people fighting about it, it's it's like politics and people I, – I just – it drives me – I just need a break. I, I can't. I can't. Um, but – in the fragmented world like Facebook where everyone can start their own group and say what they want and do what they want um whereas opposed to back in the days of I know Owen a forum where mm-hmm. you, you couldn't just go and start a forum i mean you know what i mean it, it it's a little more uh to it than that um so how do we unite the community together to make sure that we educate people on in the ins and outs of carpets and Do you think that the community has settled down or have they chose their camps and teams and they're just not paying attention to each other anymore? What do you guys think?
2: It really seems, I don't know. It was one of the first shows I was on, but I said something about there being a divide and it just seems like that divide has become greater. And now each divide has subgroups of people. And it's like, one subject will say, Well, you guys have seen it. It's like one day it'll be fine, and then one thing is said, and it's like every side is fighting over something. I personally have stopped doing Facebook for the most part. Um, if it didn't involve me at answering questions for Designer Exotics or being on Messenger, I probably wouldn't have one anymore. Um, I'm moving more towards creating my own kind of moderated social net, not social network, but Way that we can communicate with each other outside of Facebook entirely. I I can't stand Facebook anymore.
4: Agreed. Yeah. Death to Facebook. I you know, damn it it it's it's bad because it's good and good because it's bad. I mean, it's the easiest way to remember people's birthdays and stay connected with you mm-hmm. know college roommates and stuff like that. So there's utility in it. Don't get me wrong, but
2: man,
4: keyboard warriors came up fast, and God damn it, I hate people like that, and, you know, like Terrell said, if it weren't for, you know, the my Riley's Reptiles page and being able to keep in touch with people that I might not have your phone number, God damn right I would get rid of Facebook, like, dude, sucks so hard, and, you know, and, yeah, everybody sits there and can swing a big axe, but everybody's a goddamn expert and it, dude, I don't, I think Facebook is beyond saving. I think, uh, is, yeah, it's gone. Um, I think we just, the only way to stop the drama is get off Facebook.
1: Yeah. What about you, Owen?
0: Uh, necessary evil, unfortunately. It is the, top leading social network, blah, 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 Everybody's on it, including, you know, all the way down from my father and stuff of that to, you know, reptile people. I talk to Eric and Matt probably almost on a daily basis through it. It makes everything exceedingly easier. Rogue's Facebook page keeps me up to date on that. Pick of the week, plus it's really easy to kind of just notice what the hell is going on around the world where a forum would totally did that. You know, MP was definitely that. Um, Facebook just brings my reptile community and my personal life all in one handy dandy place. Um, I will admit that the keyboard warriors are a little bit more brazen when it is on the Facebook as opposed to a forum. A forum kind of almost feels like you need to, to earn your spot to speak and be a total jerk Where Facebook, it doesn't matter You know, which that could just come from It being your own personal thing And you being Anybody is able to create a page And we already covered that So uh, As far as I go um, I don't post Too much anymore I mean, I'll post a picture up on the page of the Week Every once in a while um, You just kind of get annoyed When you know, you post up your animal that you're proud of And somebody underneath you That says something Really nasty to you About it Um Or Fires back with That's cool But look at mine Well nobody gives a crap About yours It was my post But whatever So It just kind of Is like that Um I'll just check out Everybody else's stuff And talk to The few people That I talk to But And list my own animals But I'm not the kind of guy That lists The same python On every single Classified Page on Facebook, I'll usually put, list all of them on Rogue's Facebook page, and then put a link to my for sale ads on a few things, and leave it be. But yeah, unfortunately, you're never going to get rid of it. So,
1: do you think we'll ever? Itself. Do you think we'll ever move away from Facebook classifieds and move toward? I mean, we had a scare with it a few months ago. I think Everyone's well, like, was "Oh no, you
0: can't sell animals." Um, well, there's a, there's a Facebook market now or something like that, right. which I don't know about you guys, but every time I click on that, it still takes me to my classifieds site. So it'll show me, like, stuff that's available on for-sale sites around my area, plus, hey, somebody posted on this classified site, do you want an alligator? I'm like, no. So that whole, it's no animals in the market thing. I have no idea what the hell they were talking about. So, yeah,
1: but what I'm saying is, do you think that it'll ever move away from that and more towards, uh, like, uh, King Snake again?
0: Not until Facebook does something drastic, like outlaws all animal-for-sale groups, or Facebook itself dies and is replaced by something that is not as, like, you know, how Facebook took over for MySpace or something like that. So if that happens and Facebook moves on to something else... And we don't like it, then we'll shift back over. And Kingsnake still has its uses. I still get, um, I still post for sale ads on Kingsnake and fauna because I still get some people who just check out that site. Um, Because the other problem is is that no matter what, unless I'm a member of every single reptile group out there, I'm going to miss for sale ads. So having a for sale ad on Kingsnake or fauna is like, everybody checks their own little, Morelia group for sale stuff And then I'll go over to King Snake and Fauna To check out what's going on In other worlds Like I was looking at eel monsters for a while I was looking at colubrid stuff So you know It's uh, I, don't even, I don't want to be a member of a Facebook colubrid group Because then every week I'm going to get a notification When someone's trying to sell a corn snake For ten bucks So I don't think we're going to go back to those as the primary But I don't think they're going to go away Agreed. so
2: hmm. There you go. Okay.
0: I'm sorry, Eric. The forums aren't coming back. You're, we're going to have to just have that come to reality moment.
1: I had never said anything about forums. What are you talking about? I know. About? I'm just
0: saying. It's I'm just
1: saying. <laughs> <laughs> you, say, you say that every time. <laughs> I know.
0: I have to keep reminding you. Yeah. You know, yeah. So
1: make sure yes. everything's okay.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs>
1: okay. Um, I, I don't really know if the community has settled down or not because I just don't mm. really pay attention to it. To be honest,
0: I I don't. <laughs> it could be in the virtual world. <laughs>
1: I really don't. I mean, I like I said, I'm, less and less I go on Facebook. I just again, I just I, I'm so tired of the closed-minded people. You know, I, I'm just I, it's just it's you know you can't have an opinion um i think that i think that sometimes when you have a debate and you disagree i i find i i like to play devil's advocate a lot of times and i think that that yeah. pushes a conversation forward rather than you know because if you don't challenge somebody you know what i mean how i don't know it just gives me a better understanding of of what their point is going to be i'm I, I i hate to go like Politics, But like, you know, it just seems like when you're looking at politics, people will say rather than say what you're going to do, they say what the other person isn't going to do. You know what I mean? So like my focus has been I'm just going to focus on what I do rather than worry about what somebody else does. And if you care about that, then here I am. And if you don't, then so be it. I'm not I'm not going to wear I'm not going to trash somebody else to make myself be better if that makes sense you know Um, and I guess the last question that I would say is how do you get more people to appreciate carpet pythons Uh, you know what's your thoughts on that what do you guys think that'll be our closing closing remarks and we'll because we're almost out of time anyway so good we'll start (laughs) with you (laughs) Terrell
2: I think for the war generation that Riley and myself would be in, we have to start actually caring more about the animals themselves than their actual monetary value. Because when you... Like with tiger drag, it took a long time to make what we ended up with and everybody appreciated that animal. Now, if you show somebody a tiger drag, "Eh, yeah, it's cool. Like, There's no... The sense of working for something seems to be gone. It's just, hey, I made the snake. Hey, the snake's for sale. That's that's all it is. There's no actual pride in working with these animals. So we got to get more people to a place where, like, I get excited when Riley texts me because he's excited that you know he got this animal. He's stoked. He's telling me what his projects are going to be, and then they grow up, and then he's actually pairing them together. Like, I'm happy for him. I'm not working with them. It's not my project, but as a community, we get excited together, and I think there's less and less of that
4: agree riley yeah yeah i I agree entirely. The only other thing I would add on that is um the morph craze. I hate to bring it back around to that, but people don't care about the natural wild type, and you know to me, if you don't care about the natural wild type and you like I'm looking at two just pretty standard IJs right here, and I find them absolutely beautiful. They're not morphs, and I don't think I'd, you know, get rid of them just because they're not morphs. And I think if people can't appreciate, you know, a natural wild type, you know maybe that's not the species for you. And, you know, you can appreciate the morphs and stuff, and you can have the morphs, but I think if all you care about is the morphs, all you care about is just, like, having the next best thing, and you're just power powering through the species you know we just need to get back to you know appreciating what every el- everyone else is doing not having to be the first one to do something and just you know really get down to what it means to working with a species you like i like carpets because the first jungle i saw caught my eye and i know it's emphasized for the yellow and whatnot and it's not you know quite as natural as they are but that thing isn't you know, more or less a natural animal and I get bit in the face by a few of them and I'm like even more stoked. Like, yeah, that's a species for me. If I'm getting nailed by an animal, I'm like, screw this. I'm done. You know, it's like maybe that wasn't, you know, the animal I'm ultimately passionate about. And I think people really need to look at what they're working with and really ask themselves, like, is this something that I like or am I in it for different reasons? I think that's kind of where it comes down.
1: Cool. Uh, with- Owen, did we lose Hold on, I, I...
0: Muted, I muted myself. Hold on. <laughs> anyway, um, what I think you need to do to get more people drummed enough into the community is obviously start a podcast and open up something called <laughs> Carpet Fest. And after you've done these things, you can sit back and go, I've done shit to bring people in the community. There you go. But no, um, it's just to get out there and talk about it. Be excited about it. If you're not excited about it, get the hell out. You know, if these are the animals you really want to talk about, bring them to a show. You know, sit down and when you're trying to sell your babies, bring one of your adults. But don't just let the adult sit there. Break it out of the adult container. Let it kind of slide around. Talk to people about it. Get people enthused about it. Let them pet it. All that other stuff. Do educational programs with the carpet pythons. Uh, talk about other people. Talk to friends. Get to know other people in the reptile community. Um, my friend Andrew, one of my very best friends, totally breeding monitors, totally into monitors, doesn't really like snakes too much. Fred Boas, he's had enough of snakes. He says that when I produce rough scales, he wants a pair because I, kept, I let him raised my Ruffies for like a month and he's like totally in love with them. So that just happens. So you you do that just by talking and being passionate. If you're not passionate, figure something else
1: out. Yeah, I think uh, my thought would be um, it's up to the guys that have been in it a little longer um, to make sure that they stay as stoked about it as they were A long time ago and I think that if you do that about certain things um, then other people will be excited you know if they're into carpet pythons but I think I think when we focus on negativity I think sometimes that turns people away um, that may have because I think one of the things that originally brought me to carpet pythons was not just the snakes but it was like this added bonus that the community was so awesome. You know, you would go on other forums and, you know, there would be fighting about, you know, all these bullshit stuff and you would go on MP. And although there was debates and sometimes very heated debates, it was always about the animal and, you know, um, how to take care of it, how to breed it, different thoughts, whether it's pure or not pure, all these things. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that sometimes, just like I think you said, Terrell, about the tiger jag, is, you know, a while ago, that was an awesome animal. And I think that sometimes we take that for granted. Um, I remember a dream was to have an albino. And now that we have it, where I have it, you know, I'm just as excited about that, you know, as I was back when I first, you know, wanted one or saw one. Um, I mean, a huge majority of my collection is just IJs. And I'm telling you, man, in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, people are going to be looking at IJs like they look at jungles. And, you know, everybody, yeah. did, everybody <laughs> discounted man. them. But I'm telling you, man, I mean, I know Terrell and Riley are with me. Um, Oh yeah. But the, the selective breeding yeah, that's going to be this. put into them. And, you know, I mean, with a jungle, you get two colors. With yeah. an IJ, you get a little more palette to work with. And um, yep. there's tons of potential there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not even a morph. It's not even a morph. Just some selective breeding. Um, and I think that we have to get back to those kind of projects